the human contagion only must be eliminated. Save the universe using a kettle and some string. And look at me, I'm wearing a vegetable. Hello, faithful listener, and welcome to A Kettle and Some String, the Doctor Who podcast where we take a random trip through the, all the Doctor's adventures in time and space. I'm Dave, and my guest today, I'm delighted to welcome back. I've heard him on about, I think, every Doctor Who podcast going the last month, Luke. It's Mr. Luke Malloy. How are you doing, Luke? Hello, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I am a bit of a podcast hoe, all right. Um, that's... You're not the only one out there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I got rid of mine, and then I just sort of travelled onto everybody else's. Um, it's a great little life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the last time we spoke, we were getting called perfidious hags by Diana Rigg and oh, there were little slimy creatures in women's breasts. <laughs> um, why did we ever leave? <laughs> <laughs> Where have we been sent this time? Oh, we're still we're still in the same area, aren't we? Really, we've just gone gone slightly back. Um, so we're in series seven B before, and now we're in series seven A with the power of three. Yes, the power of three, as you said, series seven A, the much better part of season seven. <laughs> no. Don't agree with that, but no, I'm sure we dived into that last time, didn't we? Uh, which is better, but no, seven B is better for me, and I'm, I'm a, Amy's my, Amy's my favourite companion. Ah, she is, because, well, I know you fancy the pants so far, you've said that many <laughs> times before, but uh, yeah, that is strange how you prefer the Clara season to this. Uh, well, I think it's because 7A, there is a feeling that they probably should have gone already, isn't there? Like they, the Series 5 story is Amy growing up, the Series 6 story is sort of her and Rory coming together, the family coming together. And then you get series 7A, which is, oh, what do we do with them now? We split them up. Then we have three just standard adventures. And then we put them properly together at the end sort of thing, which they were, they were already sort of there. Uh, so I think there's that sort of feeling to it. Obviously, as a fan of Amy, I should be like, oh, great. We've got an extra five episodes. Uh, but I think something clicked when I watched Asylum of the Daleks and I saw Oswin. And I was like, oh, that's the new shiny companion. Like, I want that yeah. one now. Um, the these these are done that that always sort of maybe stuck around and because they are fairly insubstantial stories, um, yeah, this this one just sort of happened. Saying that, I'm a big fan of the Power Three. <laughs> yeah, I am as well. To be fair, um, I, I like series seventy full. So I like that five episode sort of block we had, and then we had to wait. I think a year for it to come back for the next, but. Um, no, well, we had the Christmas special, I suppose, with the, the snowmen. Yeah. But it is really strange, the Amy and uh, Rory thing, where the God Complex looks like, right, that's the places for them to go. But then it's almost like there's unfinished business in Moffat's eyes, and then we have this five-episode run, which begins really strange with a sort of they're going to get divorced, and then leads into, obviously, this seeing them for a year with, with this story. And then... 
they get separated and Angels take Manhattan. And it's almost like Muffet. It's the same he did with Clara, though. There's about five times when Clara should have left. <laughs> We're not going to get into that because you know my thoughts on it. But <laughs> it's like he can never let go and he brings them back. But I don't yeah. know. I like that they came back for this five. Uh, it seems like, whereas RTD is quite cutthroat, RTD yeah. seems like he knows exactly what he wants. So, like, I want a new companion to kickstart the series. So we'll have Donna and not Martha. And he's quite, he knows exactly when he wants people to go. Whereas I think Moffat, if the talented actors, is very happy to just let them carry on and he'll write around that, I think is generally the feeling I get, uh, which is why this sort of happens. I mean, it could be due to many diff- different issues. Uh, but I think the benefit of them staying on for the extra five episodes is that you do get an episode like The Power of Three, which is sort of unlike any episode ever, maybe, I'd go that far. Um, you obviously get your breather episodes, or what people call the filler episodes, but I think Amy and Rory sort of warrant this episode where you can sort of reflect on how far you've come with them and on everything you've done with them before you go into that big... Uh, end in, in the Angels Take Manhattan and for someone yeah as I say who was a big fan at the time and still a big fan now it's quite nice just to see them have one last little like piss about before yeah. before the big ending yeah and this episode as you say so different from any other like it's not just a big giant well it is an invasion story but it's not a big crash bang warp this is literally the opposite this is them um, seeing what they're up to every single day while this strange cube like these strange cube things are just lying around and just nobody's interested and bothered. It's it's nice to see what they get up to, which of course involves things like going to the Savoy and <laughs> having various his- mishaps, which is it's really funny. I mean, this was also around the time when, because uh, this one's related to Pond Life, that five-part mini-sode that, was, uh, that came out around well, the start of season seven, I think. Pond Life is, was a prequel to Asylum of the Daleks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because they, they get that's when you know that there's something wrong with Amy Rory's relationship, isn't it? But yeah, they clearly filmed it around the same time because it's all that sort of set. Yeah, I think there's a reference in one of them to like the bit in this where they go and Henry VIII thinks he's married Amy, and there's something about a phone charger that got uh, cut out and oh, actually it's one of the parts. And uh, yeah, well, I I really like that. So I think in. It's in a town called Mercy. Uh, Mercy. It's in a town called Mercy where they mentioned the phone charger or leaving the phone in Henry VIII suite. And then you see it here. Um, and I remember there was a theory at the time that Series 7A was out of order. Um, a bit like, uh, have you seen The Prisoner from back in the day? No, it's, it's one of the, on the many list of things I need to get ready to watch it at some point, but no, I've not seen it. The Prisoner is heavily disputed what episodes go where, and it's left quite ambiguous, and different fans think you should watch it in this order, this order. And I don't know whether Series 7A was sort of going for that, uh, because, yeah, we hear about it in the town called Mercy, but we see the Henry VIII thing here. So I, I don't know, but I quite like that. I quite like that there's a different, you know, a different route of watching the series that's up to you. Yeah, I like it as well. Um, this Series 7 was originally planned to be four episodes, then the Christmas special, and then nine episodes. But then what they decided to do was add a fifth episode to the 2012 run. And they said Chris Chibnall when he was going in with a first draft meeting about dinosaurs on a spaceship, which the production liked and said, well, you know what, we've got another gap here. 
Um, and we think you've got a strong grasp of the relationship with the companions. Fancy doing an episode for us. <laughs> oh, well, thank God you did, because it's probably, you know, it's up there with the best of Chibnall's scripts and stories, in my opinion. And and whatever happens at the end, which I'm sure we'll get into, and I'm sure you've got the explanation, because I, I don't particularly know the full facts. Um, but whatever happens at the end, I don't think it was down to Chibnall at all, really. It sounds like no. it was very much production <laughs> issue. <laughs> oh, there's a couple of issues with this one. Um, <laughs> he was originally going to do two episodes for season seven, but one with Amy and Rory in this bit, but then his other one was going to be with Clara in 2013. So this was going to be a third commission. So he was originally going to write three episodes for season seven. But because Broadchurch got green lit, he had to pull out writing the Clara one. So then we were left with the two. Uh, it's it's probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But um, if I was a writer, I, I'd I'd want to do one of each, so I can sort of see, you know, I can see his his point of view. You'd want to do one Clara one and one Amy one, wouldn't you? Yeah, but we might have been avoided journey to the centre of the Tartars or one or two of <laughs> the horrible ones in series <laughs> I, I, I'm guessing it would have been the Neil Cross one, wouldn't it? Which means. Oh, it would have been Akaten. I mean, Akaten's going nowhere in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it would have, yeah, it would have been, wouldn't it? Cause yeah, because he, he got commissioned for, for a second one and his first one was Hyde. So, yeah, it, prob- it probably would have been that. Stephen Moffat said to uh, Chibnall, right, I want a story which looks at a year in the life of the Pawns. I want it spread over, obviously, a, a year, so a much longer time span than most stories. And so he originally pitched an invasion story inspired by the MSC Napoli, which was a ship that got beached off the coast of Devon in 20, 2007. And what happened is this, I remember this, the, the boat went off on the beach and then things just randomly were on the shore, just everything from bikes to, and I mean motorbikes, to all sorts of things. And then people just basically went to the beach and grabbed them and took them away. And so he wanted the this concept of people taking things that suddenly appeared and then were free in their lives and then they were going to then turn on them later on. Yeah. So I guess the moral of the story is don't go to the beach and nick something <laughs> off the beach. It's a really good, strong concept for a story and a proper good mystery that I don't think we've really seen in, in Doctor Who before. I remember they keep calling it the year of the slow invasion. And again, like I just don't think we've particularly seen that that Doctor Who story before this or after it. No, I mean, the only one... I mean, Martha's year of hell was really going around telling stories, wasn't it? It wasn't... Yeah, it was and there's people being year, but... shot with lasers and stuff all the way through that. <laughs> <laughs> and war rockets getting built. I mean, Moffat wanted the year of the ponds telling. I want the year of Series 7 telling them all, all the behind-the-scenes secrets and scandals because what it sounded like that whole year of making Series 7 and the anniversary was just chaos behind the scenes. Yeah, and I this don't one think... is... We know this the half of it, yeah. <laughs> is really chaos. I mean, it was, we'll get to it. Oh my God, I think we all know Stephen Berkoff. Um, <laughs> we will get to um, So he thought that the objects would be small black cubes and he was set on Earth and felt it was ideal because it was set on Earth to bring UNIT back and to have a link to the Brigadier, which apparently the BBC wasn't aware of until the script was delivered. So they had no idea until they got the script. Oh, he's, there's a reference to the Brigadier um, and his daughter. Because um, he felt at watching Battlefield that there had to be a daughter who's off at university somewhere. Because, bizarrely, 
even though he's a Doctor Who fan, he didn't have a clue about downtime and that Kate with his Stewart. Right. He, he actually called the character Kate, but apparently had no idea that there was another Kate with his Stewart <laughs> in downtime. As much as I'd love to give Chibnall a kick in, I don't really blame him if he's never seen downtime. <laughs> you seen it? I've seen it, yeah. Oh, God, I watched it recently. And yeah, I watched God, it very um, it it's crap. funny though because she does even sort of look like a de a de aged uh, Gemma Redgrave and shit. Or like you could buy that it's the same character. Um, yeah, <laughs> we won't talk about that type. <laughs> yeah, because I just yeah, I think it'll just. From what I've heard alley. though, like RTD and Moffat are super fans of Doctor Who in the way of like they know, you know, the details of Underworld and who played who in this, whereas. Chibnall is a Doctor Who fan in a more sort of simpler sense. I don't think he get particularly ever got that engaged and involved with it. Now, I don't know. This is just what I've heard from like other people. Um, I think I he think liked it changed. and he watched it, but he was, it's not the super fan thing that Moffat and RTD have. I think that explains a lot about his approach being so different. Yes. To, to them, yeah. It's not as perhaps seeped in the lore that's gone before and he's just came along and we're not going to get the timeless children we're going to go that. that's, that's a totally different story um, The Power of Freedom was first draft written in three different bits and it opened with a, originally with a crisis tent scene with two bomb disposal men and one of them telling the other the explosive will take out half of England the English Channel and most of northern France and my mother lives in Guernsey Rory diffuses the device planet by the Terrellians, which are these little space monkeys who love blowing things up. And I'm not making this up, by the way. <laughs> uh, Amy, meanwhile, was in Hampstead Heath witnessing a battle between Roundheads and Cavaliers against the skyline of modern London, and she sent them back to the 17th century. That night, they changed into party clothes, and Amy and Rory commented about how a shopping centre had vanished. The doctor then burst in, thinking it was November when it was February, and said to them to watch out for the cubes. After the opening titles, he bursts in with a box of 31st century Cavaran oranges and two wheels of cheese. The Prime Minister, Stephen Carter, arrived at the ponds after unit and deported the doctor from the UK. Brian tried to discuss some adopting, which angered Amy as she felt he was interfering in their lives, and the Shakri were sent back from the end of known time to erase humanity. So, I mean, that sounds like totally different to what we get, but if we break it down, it's literally just... Uh, like there's lots of little mini stories going on in the power of three, and it's just like this is just another one he just plonked in at the beginning about this mode of northern France. I think I think this story and script works better when it's just being simple. So yeah. I'm very happy we didn't get any of that. It goes on. The doctor used the sonic to lock the ship onto a trajectory away from Earth on a long t- tour of dark space, which would stop the Shakti being seven again. And the dog came in, Rory departed as the aliens stabbed at the controls, saying, you should remember what cubed really means. The, no, sorry, that's what the doctor says. Sorry, that's not the chakra. You should remember what cubed really means, the power of free. So we always had the power of free as the last line mm, in the story. Yeah. But they removed the whole Prime Minister storyline because it was overrunning and the BBC just didn't like that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and it's said to get Kate Stewart. <laughs> uh, yeah, but... Oh, sorry, like, conf- confession time. Uh, I don't think I like Unit 
<laughs> really? I think I like. I think I, yeah, I think I like the cozy unit of the seventies. Uh, but even then, it's less that it's actually unit and more just, you know, you've got the 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 cuddly brigadier and you've got Joe and uh, like clumsy Benton and it's all just it's all like good characters. But I don't think I particularly care for unit. Um, and then when Torchwood came along, it was it was just better because it was unit plus sex. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I just I like that. And now that it's sort of gone back to this sort of drier unit, that's they just feel like toy soldiers, but they're under London landmarks and things. I don't know. I I'm hoping that whatever uh, is done with them in the future, like we're going into the 60th in a couple of weeks, aren't we? Um, is going to reignite it. And it's going to do something totally different with them. But while Kate Stewart's around, I'm un- I'm unsure myself. But I've got faith in RTD that it can make me like anyone. Yeah, I mean, it looks like from the trailer, doesn't it? That coming up, it's like a gigantic like skyscraper building with unit on it, and and it just looks like it's bigger than it's been before. Yeah, and you know the rumours that have been going around for months about this unit spin-off. When I saw that skyscraper, I thought, yeah. That looks like the sort of HQ for a spin-off, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, if it's if it's three leads and it's Kate Stewart and Melanie Bush and um, Ruth Maidley, and you've got like the old character, the new series character, and a brand new character, I, I can sort of get behind that. And I mean, I'm saying I don't like Unit. I'd watch that. I'd be watching the series. I would <laughs> not be watching it. Um, but yeah, like they just don't do much for me, really, especially in the new series. I just they just they just exist for a plot reason rather than a fun reason I'd say yeah I like you know the, the thing that well it's Doctor Who is that you've got unit you've got Torchwood you've had you have the Forge and the audio stories I mean there's all these secret organisations and you're led to believe that all of them sort of know about each other but they don't interfere with each other but they can all it, it's yeah, they're yeah cracks in time <laughs> cracks in time wiped them all away yeah <laughs> The power of free read-through, they all ate fish and chips. Uh, Gemma Redgrave was a little daunted coming into this because she, she had watched it as a kid with her own children and it had been mooted, it'd been mooted at her interview that it would be a recurring part. 150 cube props were made, with more added with CGI. Chris Chimnall visited the set with his kids, with his eldest Cal absolutely delighted that Matt Smith had remembered them from when he had previously visited during filming of Victory of the Daleks. The regulars lapped around with wheelchairs on the set, and the last scene was the final shot. Well, they thought it would be the final shot. Um, it took about 20 takes for them to do it, because all the cast and crew wanted to watch, and Karen and Arthur just wanted to get to the rap party. <laughs> After they hugged and cried in the TARDIS, as it was Arthur Darvill and Karen Gillan's last filmed episode, Matt Smith called Karen Gillan Fondling Bottom Gillan, and Stephen Moffat presented them with a signed cast and crew pick of the pair. And Karen Gillan decided it was time to take binoculars from the TARDIS set. Nice. I I, I remember watching Doctor Who Confidential uh, where they do that scene and then they're all sort of like, try. I was absolutely sobbing my eyes out watching Doctor Who Confidential and the angels take my out and they even come out yet. I was like, oh no, I can't, I can't take it. Um, but it was the last ever scene, I'm guessing, was that because they do a pickup, don't they? A lot later on, where it was that bit where they yeah. walked through the elevator with the yellow. Yeah, the yellow they thought that that was it. They thought that that was the last scene. With so they deliberately made it so that the last scene was the last shot. 
Um, so the one we see at the end of the episode where they're at the TARDIS and I think I think it's cloud that they go in because I can't remember them going in but that is the last thing that they shot but what happened later on though is that they decided the production team to shift the emphasis of the narrative onto the life of Amy and Rory and reduce the alien involvement so Stephen Moffat felt they needed extra material which included the montage at the beginning and some voiceovers from Gillen so she had to come back in and do voiceover work and by the middle of June, a more substantial decision was made to change the climax of the story from the rumour mill. Stephen Berkov basically was a dick on set because <laughs> apparently what he did was he refused to act. He refused to do what the director was telling him to do and he just was difficult to work with. And so the material in the Shackley shift was now heavily cut back and omitted the defeat of the alien by then just having them vanish. So they had to do new close-ups with the Doctor and Amy to cover the dialogue that had been recorded and they had to basically shift it all around. So it was thanks to Stephen Berkoff and them thinking, uh, we want it more Ramey and Rory, it got completely changed. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's sort of what I'd heard. Um, and I don't think you can tell unless you're looking for it that like it's not meant to be as it is. But as soon as you know and you look for it, it's, it's I, I don't know, you can just sort of tell these shots where Matt Smith's walking and Burkoff's like in the front of the camera and um and it's clearly like vote uh, audio being played over and different lines being played over and you just know something's wrong and then you get the little sonic screwdriver and it's all fixed and it's like, hmm, didn't feel like it was building to that. Yeah, no, it seems to build like 35 minutes as you say and then suddenly it's, oh, is that, it? is that the ending? And it's because yeah. basically he fucked it all up. Do, do you know <laughs> what what the original ending was meant to be then? Yes. Um, <laughs> I was going to go over that at the end, but I'll go over oh, it now if you want. No, let's save it for the end. That's we'll save little, it for the end. Little teaser. Yeah, I found out what the original ending was supposed to be. Um, but yeah, Berkhoff is apparently notorious in the acting circles for uh, being just really difficult. And he literally just thought, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing this line, I'm not doing... and then they just it just ruined it. So. <laughs> That's strange. He ends it sort of. Maybe there's something in his contract, but it's sort of strange that they wouldn't just get another actor in to uh, do the parts. Other than, uh, yeah, I don't know if they're under time pressure and they might need Karen yeah. Gillan and everyone back. It's probably not feasible, is it? So, yeah, ignore that. Power of Free was transmitted September 2012. And we've got, of course, the Doctor's Matt Smith. We've got Amy Pond, Karen Gillan. We've got Arthur Darvall as um, Rory Williams. We've got the return of his dad. Of course, Big Bri. Big Bri is back, <laughs> uh, played by Mark Williams. And in the guest cast, of course, we've got Jenna Redgrave making her debut as Kate Stewart, um, who was in Cold Blood, a series called Cold Blood, The Acid House, which was the... Um... God, I've, the name's forgot. I've forgotten it. Who's the guy who done Trainspotting again? I should know. Irvin Welsh. I, I don't know. Uh, Danny Boyle. Uh, no, the writer, the um, the wow. the acid house was um. Oh, I am I am just been. Aye, I think you're right, probably Norma. Aye, I don't I'm know. It's all about. I'm not sure. Danny Boyle definitely directed Chains, but did he write it? I'm not sure. No, it's Irvin. No, I am right. It's Irvin Welsh because he wrote Trainspotting, but he also wrote the acid house. Yeah, it's it's um. That's what I'm meaning. But yeah, I don't know if Danny Boyle maybe directed the acid house. He could have. Done. Yeah, yeah. No, he directed it. Yeah. You're right, so it's Irving Welsh. So yeah, but that, I've never seen that, but I, I'm aware that that's sort of like a pretty hard stuff 
And Try I'm just can't imagine Jenna Redgrave in a Kate Stewart like character popping up in the Ashes house. But there you go. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, no, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. But if if he wrote it, I'd probably watch it. Chase Spotting's really good. We've got Stephen Berkoff as, Sha- as the Shakri, who was in Octopussy, Rambo First Blood Part 2, amongst other things. I love Octopussy. I think it's a great Bond film. I love it. It's camp, but I love it. And it's got a great tune. All time high. That's got um, some of Roger's best one lines, that one. Yeah, it's also the one where he comes down the banister with the AK and um, and shoots it just before it catches him on the knob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You certainly know your, your faces and figures. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think he's really good in Octopussy. He's, he's just... He is. I'm of the man. opinion that Roger Moore just gets better as it goes on. <laughs> Whereas a lot of people like the earlier ones. Uh, I mean, I love the spy who loved me like pretty much everybody else. But... Um, it's well, not for your... kill, believe it or not. But for your eyes only and octopus here, proper pro I'm proper suckers for <laughs> Shelva Rasellingham, I think is the pronunciation, as Ranjit, who's been in EastEnders and Doc Martin. <laughs> cool. Well <laughs> <laughs> you've not seen him in anything else, Luke. <laughs> no. I'm not. Um and Alice O'Connell is Laura, uh, Amy's pal, who was in She's been in Doctor City Advice, amongst others, but I've not watched any of them either. Yeah, no, me neither. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what was your initial thoughts when you first saw this one? Um, I think I liked it. It's quite strange, actually, because I do, I'm do. i usually very good at remembering where I was, what my thoughts were when an episode of Doctor Who went out, especially around this time, um, because I was sort of like 16, 17. But I don't particularly remember, but I think so. I think generally I just liked it. And I think that the power of three has remained the same for every single time I've watched it. And you have some episodes that get better and some that get worse. I've always just liked watching the power of three and I don't think it's particularly ever changed. I feel exactly the same. I, I, I've never watched it and thought it's better or worse than the time before. It, I, I remember really enjoying it, but the, as we've discussed, the ending was really like abrupt. I remember thinking watching it 35 minutes in, this is really, really good. And then, oh, he's just waved the sonic screwdriver and that's it. It's That's it done. It's, it's, it felt really, really, like, abrupt. Um, yeah. I think generally... I really enjoyed it. First. Generally, it was probably quite emotional. I think I was probably emotional. I was say I cried at Doctor Who Confidential. I remember that. And sort of growing up with Amy and Rory... Um, I'd sort of resonated with them. And there's like a proper theme of they've grown up now. Like uh, series five is a lot about Amy growing up and she's sort of there in series six. But this, I think you fully see it on display where like, you know, at the, throughout, the, throughout the whole thing, they're basically rejecting the doctor who's the imaginary friend and childhood personified and all that lack of responsibility. And they're sort of happy to go on to the next step. And uh, like that, that Amy you get at the beginning of the eleventh hour that steps into the TARDIS and looks around, full of wonderlust and everything, and all that exciting adventure. She's like, she's older now, and she's sort of outgrown the yeah. show. And you obviously get that lovely speech, which we'll get to in the middle. Um, but I think I sort of resonated with that because I probably thought I was outgrowing the show, 
little did I know that you can't outgrow this bloody thing. <laughs> once once you're in, you're in. <laughs> but I think there's there's a certain element that like you know, you do sort of watch Doctor Who through less excited eyes. I say that now, I actually can't wait for the 60th so much. Uh, so I don't know how true that is, but there is that. It could just be a, a nostalgic thing of, you know, you always think when you were a kid, Doctor Who was just, oh, wow, like the most dominating, incredible thing. And maybe it doesn't quite hold the same value. But yeah, I don't know. So this was your TARDIS team then, you'd say? Yeah, which is strange because yeah, yeah. uh, well, what I did sort of watch it from you know Tooth and Claw onwards, and I really liked Rose, and I was obsessed with David Tennant. I didn't think anything could get better than David Tennant there, but then maybe watch Stephen Moffat's writing and sort of like that cleverness, and um, Matt Smith just being sort of general lad, um, and <laughs> I mean in series five he is a lad. I know he sort of goes on to be this sort of nerdy professor, but he's a proper lad in series five. Um, the whole cracks in time thing, the fantastical element, the you know, it, it did all suck me in somehow more than David Tennant's era had. And okay. so yeah, like I think definitely by the time Matt Smith left, I was like, oh god, like that's that is my era definitely over but it probably would overlap with a bit of the David Tennant stuff to be honest yeah it's really weird isn't it how, how you just whatever your error or your team are that you get so emotionally like for me having grown up at the tail end of Sylvester's time I mean that scene that scene on Tales from the TARDIS I was in bits and yeah. even though I'd been in bits a couple of weeks previous watching the, the well a few weeks previously it was last year uh, the power of the doctor was last year Um <laughs> It's interesting how you just always... So you must have been quite emotional at the end of the time in The Doctor when she reappears just before the, re the region. No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, time of The Doctor finished me off big time. Yeah, I, <laughs> I actually... I, I held it together somehow, I think now somehow, in front of the family. But I remember as soon as them credits rolled, just quietly leaving the room, going upstairs and crying like, oh, God, it's over. Uh, yeah, it is, right? Yeah. It's strange how... I think maybe, maybe I was just a bit too young to be that emotionally attached, like as I thought to sort of David Tennant and them companions. Whereas as soon as I was hooked with Matt Smith, I, I going through sort of teenage years, it just it just grabbed me clearly emotionally yeah. more. And yeah, you're talking about Tales of the Tardis. I was thinking, I just hope I'm lucky enough that in like 20 years, 30 years, you've got Karen Gillan and Arthur Darville doing these things and the Blu-ray trailers and stuff like that because I I can't even imagine how great it is for someone that like you that's grown up with a classic TARDIS team and you're getting all these little extras that that are personally made for you pretty much. Yeah, I, I think it will happen. I think it will happen. So. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll, they'll definitely, um, I don't, well, they're saying them, I mean, everyone says I'm never coming back. I mean, they too famously said that's it, it's over, we're never coming back. And of course she did <laughs> for a brief cameo, but uh, it, oh, it will happen. In sci-fi, you always come back. You always oh, come back. Always come back. <laughs> the power of three begins with Amy and Rory having two lives, real life and doctor life. Except once, when the doctor became part of their lives in the year of the slow invasion. Brian wakes Amy and Rory to show them that the street is littered with small black cubes and the doctor has come to investigate. I love the montage at the beginning where it's just... 
like the last two and a half years just condensed into like a 30 second sort of whoosh and yeah. just uh, loads, of, loads of images. Yeah, I think uh, I love, oh, well, you know, I'm a Love of Monsters fan. I've like love that episode. <laughs> love that episode to the bones and back. Um, and they, these karma episodes that reflect on what we've seen in Doctor Who or like what the companions have been through, oh, they just always work for me. Like Turn Left has got a bit of it as well. I know that that's good in its own sort of right anyway, but seeing sort of events that we already know about from a different angle or seeing how far we've come from a different from an event. They always work. I think this is, I, I'd be slightly anxious about sort of going into the Disney age. I don't think we'll get these karma episodes again or for a while because they're definitely not in fashion for sort of where Doctor Who and Disney and stuff are going. Hmm. Uh, yeah, you're probably right, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting, isn't it, see how much. They're saying that Disney are sort of in the background sort of thing, but how much influence have they really got? Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah, I could yeah. I mean, I won't be complaining if we get eight absolute action, you know, <laughs> episodes. I'm not going to be sat there going, well, where was the one where nothing happens in it? Um, but as a fan of these, I could just sort of see them slowly going away. I mean, they sort of have. You know, you wouldn't, you you don't get room for something like this in in flux, or so, you know, because there's only six yeah. episodes, and you you just go in. It's Doctor Who, and this is very not like Doctor Who, is it really? It's it's um it's a character piece on an Amy Roy. It sort of feels like it could go out at nine o'clock on ITV One. Nine o'clock. Well, you know, just in that nah. drama slot, not well, not. Not the cube yeah. bit of the story, yeah, but like I was going to say, you need a bit more blood and guts or something. I would be wanting like real blood splattering from the from the shack. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I I like these episodes, but I do think they're probably a product of the time. It's interesting going back to any Doctor Who story and then just seeing like, oh my god, it made it like this then rather than and how things have changed, isn't it? It's... Yeah. Is real life being summed up by the opticians on the call? I thought was really nice. It was just like, yeah, that's it's 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 just showing this whole bit. Of course, that they're at home, they're just having a normal life. Things like opticians and getting supplies and all this sort of thing is just that just what they have to do, like everyone else. Yeah, it's the first time the Moffat era feels a bit real, isn't it? It sort of crosses into that RTD bit, which I know you'll probably come on to with the. With the news reports and stuff, it, it crosses into that sort of hyper real RTD world, uh, which is, I'm guessing, an effort to give Amy and Rory uh, as much personality and character and realism before you fucking kill them next week. <laughs> well, technically not kill them, but uh, yeah. There's a gravestone yeah, with the name yeah, on it, the yeah, <laughs> I love the music in this episode. That little um, cube theme that goes on which I'm not going to do notes because I can't even remember off the top of my head, was just that little cube theme that you hear throughout the whole story. Just Yeah. I can't, I can't say I noticed it. Like, oh, I've not written it down in my notes. That's sometimes a good thing. It, it means it wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah, because this is a, an episode that doesn't really get much... Um, well, first of all, it doesn't get much um, discussion at all, I think. But you never hear about the music in this story. You always hear about the music and the angels and... Um, 
and the town king called Mercy and the ones around it, but you never hear anything really about this one. Yeah, that's fair. I'm going to listen to the Cubes theme straight after this podcast, just to give it its moment. I noticed that Amy's got masks in her house, which the first thing it made me think was, Christ, is that a nod back to when she played the sisterhood in uh, The Fires of Pompeii? It's a mask that looks exactly like she would have had on her face. I know she was painted in that episode, but it just reminded me so much of her role as the sisterhood in that episode. Oh, my God. I've not noticed. I've seen this a lot of times. I've not noticed. It probably is, surely. Yeah, there was lots of little... um, It's when you see the the cube first arrive and then you see some of the trinkets in her house and just some of the things look very familiar. And just, yeah, I just saw this mask and it made me think of that um, episode. I don't know if that was a coincidence or whether I've just put two and two together and made nine, (laughs) probably. The cube title sequence. Now, this is the time of every episode has a slightly different title sequence because they wanted it to be um, a different sort of mood every episode. Um, so with this one, we get the Doctor Who made up of cubes. Yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of this approach, no. Yeah, I was stuck at who signed this off. This the, <laughs> this title sequence is horrible. I, I you know, I I'll try and support the Moffat era anyway, but this is purple, barely visible, horrible. But yeah, it's the wor- I think it's the worst one of the five experiment ones. Ah, because we had the so we had was it made up of Dalek bumps? The yeah, first one. and then there's dinosaur scales, which is pretty bad in uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was bad. Uh, I don't can't know what remember. the rest of what is. Can't remember what town called Mercy was. And I'm pretty sure Angels is like grey stone sort of but Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know what they were I think it's a failed experiment all in all. <laughs> I really like Is the it? 7B titles, so maybe that was just because oh, we got no, away. Really? Yeah, maybe that was no. just because we got away from this. No, 7B's ones is one of the worst, Luke. No, no. no lovely. Audrey dies, like Star Trek or something, and then it goes Galaxy. And, oh, oh no. it's great. It's, I prefer it to the Capalzi one with the clocks. Nah, not for me. <laughs> the, title, the title music, maybe. Oh god, yeah, that is definitely the worst title music this has ever been. Probably. <laughs> nah, but this they should have stuck to the titles from series five and six and just had, you know, the sort of going through the, the clouds. Yeah. The yeah. I'm not even that keen on them, to be honest. But I I, I prefer them to this. <laughs> the zoom up is really good where uh, you got Brian hitting the, knocking on the door and then the camera just goes it just goes up. And then you just see them staring at the window like, why are you outside our house, Brian? Yes. Yeah, That um, their house is so close to Cardiff Bay. I don't know if you've ever been. Yeah, yeah I think I've been on that street, actually, I think. Yeah, it's really close. I've been and like got precariously close to the house and then took a selfie and sort of ran away because uh, it's probably <laughs> just someone's normal house. Uh, but... Yeah, it's so strange because when you see it on this, it just looks like a nice sort of suburban street, but actually it's like inner city Cardiff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right in the middle of the city, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the direction is pretty good in this whole story, full stop. I mean, there's a lot of great angles going about, like the, not looking at things straight on and uh, and stuff. It I is, it and I think it's, it's, it's really slickly edited, apart from sort of towards the end, and so a lot of the colours in that pop and look nice. When they're flicking between like June and September and and you you know you're at a barbecue one minute and then 
somewhere else the next minute. I think it all looks and is flows quite nicely. Um, and yeah, some of the shots are really nice, like the one you just said about going up, and even the one the doctor sat on the climbing frame looking at the cube yeah. with his little glass that's gorgeous as well. And so, yeah, like, yeah, 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 monocle, yeah, yeah. Is, really, is really it Douglas fun. McKinnon who directs this? Yeah, he did, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he does listen, which is another one of his just really big, and he does um, Husbands of River Song, which has got the sequence where he, he goes forward and asks him to build the restaurant and then goes forward again and that's all done in sort of like one lovely take um yeah he's a, a really good director i think for doctor who yeah because he started with um the sontaran two-part and david Tennant's time and a lot of people seem to think that wasn't very well directed and that he gets better as he goes on but actually i think um the direction that was absolutely fine and he, but i think he does progressively get better it's almost like he has more ambition with every episode to yeah. right, i'm going to try this i'm going to try this um Brian Cox appears. He does. He does. And as does Alan Sugar. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Sorry with him, that. Frick. I'm not a fan of Alan Sugar at all. It is, it is a nice little throwback to the RTD sort of era, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, like, it, yeah, I, I do sort of miss it. Well, I think we'll probably get it back now. Oh, we'll get it back. It's just the way he works. But it does make it feel like it's happening to the world and they're probably in the world. Um, I love what Brian Cox says. I, I can't remember it word for word, but you'll have no more knowledge than me or something. But yeah, the thing yeah, that Brian yes. Cox, as we all know, is that he's so enthusiastic. I mean, he makes a physics, he would make a physics lesson sound like listen to a, a fairy tale, you know, it just <laughs> he makes it sound so interesting and yeah. is not boring whatsoever, you know. Yeah, it's really good. And talking enthusiasm, we have Brian having the theory about. They go into the TARDIS, don't they? And then they have the theory about what is this? What, what's what's making these tick? And then Brian has all these uh, theories of what he thinks it could be, thinking that it could be all part of a jigsaw puzzle <laughs> and things like that. It's just like, yeah, it, it could be. Yeah, I mean, they, they shoot him down a bit too easy, don't they? He's, he's, I think yeah. they're actually quite good when he's like, they're all tiny bombs. Uh, I'm yeah, like, tiny bombs, yeah. <laughs> that's the first thing I think of. Look at him, all tiny bombs. He is really, really good. I mean, it's a criminal that they never gave him his, like that last scene in Angels Take Manhattan, the one that they were going to do that we got called PS to end his story off because I... he just Yeah, I do see why it's not there, though. Like, even, even if it was going to be the, if they'd have filmed it, um, I, I do think it'd be weird if you watch the Angels take Manhattan and then right at the end you get a five minute scene of Brian when he's not really in it. As a mini episode thing, I think it works really well as a bit of closure because the only people I think that are that bothered about Brian are the sort of people that watch a mini episode about him. <laughs> um, so I think it, it probably works well. Uh, I do wish on the whole we got Brian earlier as probably everybody does. Um as well as I'd like him at sort of the wedding in the Big Bang or something like that, I think he might stick out in Series 5 because Series 5 is very Amy's story. And so to have Rory and his dad might not work that well. But Series 6, he could have injected some life along the way, I think. He would have been a really nice background character in that in that dark Series 6. Yeah, I mean... He would have been at the wedding, wouldn't he? But we just didn't see him because, obviously, like, 
Well, they never knew he was going to be going yeah, to get this, it by that point. A lot of Doctor Who companions' yeah. relatives missed the wedding, so they lived to tell the tale. I he's fab. And his relationship, the chemistry he's got with Arthur Darville. Oh, you, you could, fully... You believe that, yeah. Yeah, you fully buy the, the dad and son. It's, it's crazy. At the time, I never give Arthur Darville half the respect. Um, he, always, he was always getting in the way of the Doctor and Amy's relationship for me. But, like... As... Yeah, because you were wanting the two of them shagging the tar. Right? <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. Um, but I think he's just. But I think Rory, the character, is brilliant. I think his comedic time and, and the way he plays the character is brilliant. And I'm I'm a, such a big fan of the two of them, Rory and Amy, together. Especially at this point, they're just wonderful. Yeah, he's he's very very underrated. He's an yeah. actor very underrated. Um, yeah, as an actor especially. I think the character people are like, oh yeah, Rory's great. But as an actor, I don't think he gets the credit for sort of how funny he is. <laughs> oh, he's, he's hilarious in some of the episodes. He really is. Yeah. I mean, that, the moments like where his dad and this, like the bit where uh, he says Brian's log and then he's just like, well, that took a lot to, to, <laughs> to, to think of dad. Um, and he's just like interjecting and you can see him laughing when he's starting the, the, the blog, you know, and he's just like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> um, so Amy reveals that they've been travelling 10 years with the Doctor by this point so dashing back and forth I wonder how much time has went from the God Complex to this because of course we've seen all the bits in between Simon the Daleks and so on but I'm a, it must have been if it's 10 years from the start of the 11th hour yeah, so we, we need yeah. to get into this. I'm going to blow this open now. <laughs> because, right. it, so she says it's 10 years and the, the 11th hour when they finally fly off is 2010 because uh, it's like 1996, then 12 years into the future. And then he does that further two-year hop at the end. So it's 2010. And then she yeah. says 10 years. So this implies 2020. Okay, that's fine. But then Day of the Doctor is set in 2013. So if Kate Lethbridge-Stewart is coming into the house in 2020 and not recognising the Doctor, then why does she recognise him in 2013? So there's either a massive plot hole or the Black Archive wiped her mind. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, the, only other, the only thing I think when she says it is if it's 10 years from her perspective and they've sort of yeah. chose where to go back to. So they've actually been travelling for 10 years, but they've it's only actually been two years on earth sort of thing i yeah, think we've yeah, got that, to take yeah. it like that <laughs> i think we do uh, or we say it's the time war or we say it's amy's crack just when yeah. it's shot <laughs> yeah i i've, I've got a, a unit dating explanation that actually worked for me finally after all this these years it's in it's in the big like our history books that lance parkin did and it was basically that in its simplest terms, it was that there was so much time stuff going on in the 70s and 80s that uh, 20 years took place within 10 years and nobody noticed. Why not? <laughs> I know, I know. It's just, it's just one of those. It was like... I, I think 20... they deliberately do these things, you know, like I'm sure like uh, Moffat said it before, he probably deliberately put that line in just like that'll get them all annoyed and, <laughs> and try to guess it. And he's like that, isn't he? He's... Yeah, but he's he's probably just put it in deliberately. Just yeah, it's, conversation. it's not something I worry about, but it's something when I no. get bored I like to think about. <laughs> it's when um 
the, the doctor obviously like is totally not getting this normal life thing at all, and he's just thinking they can just get up and go whenever they want. And his reaction, um, I, th I think it's at this bit or maybe it's later, where he is talking about I'm getting offered a permanent job at the hospital, and the doctor's like a job? What are you talking about? And Rory challenges him, and Brian's face, his reaction of yeah, you're right, son. I'm 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 glad you're you're sticking with your guns here. I just love that bit because, of course, this alien is just like, oh, come on, just let's go. And he's like, no, but there's more to life than just going away with you. Yeah. It's that one, it's the part where it, it's him rejecting that sort of youthfulness and childhoodness. Um, sort of similar to when, like, you just start to not go out <laughs> anymore you just start to sort of reject going out on your Friday and Saturday nights because it's more comfortable to stay in and watch the telly like it's that it's all feeding into that growing up theme that really just propels this episode for me yeah it reminded me a bit of Joe in the, the Green Death where she um, basically says doctor I'm not doing I'm not going to make a base flea with you I'm going to go do it at the nut house in Wales and here he's sort of saying no I'm going to try and get this permanent job, I'm going to think about it. You know, I'm not going to just drop my job and go off and have all these adventures. We've, we've done that for so long. We've done it for 10 years, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it's reminiscent of that, definitely. Rory's getting changed for work when soldiers burst into his house <laughs> and they're followed by Kate Stewart, head of scientific research of unit. So, of course, there are soldiers all over my house and I am in my pants. <laughs> Brilliant moment. Yeah, I've dreamed of saying that all my life and I miss it by being somebody else. That's what Amy <laughs> says back. <laughs> yeah, I did think, oh, she had to put that line in and she still had to be the, the little... <laughs> oh, it's great. It's fun. It's fun. She's not being serious. <laughs> not anymore. True. Kate <laughs> seems very enthusiastic. In fact, I'd go as far as to say, I mean, I was jokingly saying, oh, we're going to have to talk about Kate Stewart and sort of dismissed it. But I'm thinking, what happens to her? Because in this, I thought she was actually all right. She seemed enthusiastic. She seemed like <laughs> like quite three-dimensional. But what seems to happen is later in the series is that she just becomes this bland sort of monotone woman. What a compliment that was. I think she's actually all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would also agree. I think um, I think it's the most energy I've ever seen her. I, yeah. I, I didn't really care for at the time not that I didn't like her I think at the time I was just like cool I didn't really care about her or or and and I still don't uh, nothing that's happened since has made me care yeah I mean there's too much going on in the anniversary for her to really get anything to do I'll tell you what though when she gets chucked out of a plane in uh, Death in Heaven I remember being quite shocked and I might have cared about her then if she'd have stayed dead. <laughs> but but she gets saved by the cyberbrick, doesn't she? So um and I don't particularly watch that Zygon two parter in series nine. So uh, yeah, she's she's fine. I just couldn't believe how much better she was in this compared to what happens later on. As I say, she just seems to and it's interesting because it's Chibnall that becomes the showrunner. So you and he's created her so you'd think that he would give her like lots of meaty stuff to do but in his era she doesn't really ever get back to this sort of no but she's put in two episodes where there's there's just too much going on anyway isn't it? it's like she's put in the grand surfing episode which there's so much going on with flux and then she's put in power of the doctor where she's only there so unit can be there uh, i don't think we might get to see her do something 
good or interested. I wouldn't be surprised. It does feel like RTD sort of picked people that he can course correct, doesn't it, with with Mel yeah. and Kate. So I'd be interested to see what he does with that, really. Um, they've definitely got potential to, to do the go further. And then you might look back and go, oh, Christ, look how far they've come. Yeah, it's just, I'm just, I don't know. She's, I mean, Lucy McCall, of course, and uh, Joe Short love Kate Stewart, but I am in the camp where she's just, she's just there. But in this, I just thought, wow, she's like a three-dimensional character here. But what happens? She just, it's almost like after this episode, she just, ah, oh, can't I be arsed now? I'm just gonna just stand around and just say the lines. It's just really strange. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see the love for her. But also, I do find that when you love something and everyone else hates it, it really becomes yours. So it's quite nice. Um, yeah. So I'm sure they're sure they're having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> and he salutes the doctor, which I thought was interesting. He saluted the the soldiers. He said, yeah. uh, like his predecessor was like, ah, don't salute." But he was just like, "I'm just going to salute anyway." Yeah, I mean. But then we go on to the next series and he hates soldiers and he hates soldiers saluting again until at the end of it when he salutes the brig. Like I'm I'm fed <laughs> up with the doctor hating army guys because it's always it's they're always gonna have to be involved and they're always gonna have to fight monsters, so it it's only ever gonna be a bit repetitive and a bit annoying. Yeah, I didn't understand the whole thing with that. you mean with Danny Pink when he's very Well the Danny Pink one I would argue is that he doesn't like Danny Pink because he because Clara's take because he's taking Clara away from him and he's just using the soldier thing as a like a sort of excuse. So I, I'd argue that is probably the motivation, but I think most of the time it comes across as he just hates soldiers. He just comes across a bit an arse, really. <laughs> well, just... yeah, he does, which is why the course corrects quite heavily throughout the Capaldi era. Exactly what humanity would do, by the way. This whole thing where they're saying like everyone's seen these cubes. Take them into the home. They're putting them in there. They're, they're all over houses, in the streets. They're everywhere, and basically everyone just thinks after a while, you know what? Well, we'll just have, they're just around. We just kind of carry on life, and they're just there. It's exactly what humanity would do. There was no way we would yeah. go. Wait a minute, we've got to find an answer to this. We would just, we would just completely just become like complacent and just leave them. If they were all, if there was all in our house, eventually we'd just get annoyed and just go, oh well, we can just stay there. Yeah, no, it's a great idea. It really is what you do, um, and I think when you when you get it explained that that's what the cubes want people to do is to take them everywhere, show them around. That's that's a really good idea as well. It's after that point it starts to fall apart a bit for me, um, but yeah, it's such a strong. I know I said it at the beginning. It's such a strong central idea. Cubes appear everywhere, everywhere. They don't do anything, and everyone just sort of takes them in. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's it sounds really simple, but it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Team oh, Cube. sorry. The the at that point though, they mentioned um people are posting them on Flickr, and I thought, blimey, that dates it, doesn't it? Bloody hell! I, so, I never was. I was never on Flickr. I was it? never on Flickr, but that dates it. I mean, and in that... ten years, Twitter's going to be a dated thing. Like when they mention Twitter a lot, because we'll all just naturally be calling it X. Who calls it X though? To be fair, but it will, it will though, it will over time. I think, it will. Just... I think everyone's uh, just go. 
I mean, even now you hear on the news, it's just, you know, on Twitter, on X, which used to be called Twitter, they even say all the time, like, X, which used to be Twitter, that the, the, uh, the change is not in the consciousness yet. And I think Musk is just, it's not going to happen. Like, it's just, you can call well, it all he wants. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I'm not bothered either way. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, well, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I just feel like these things wants, but... generally do just naturally happen. And then suddenly we go, oh, Twitter, yeah, do you remember that? We'll see. I could see it obviously like getting replaced by another platform. Definitely. That's that will happen. Yeah. Probs. And Matt Smith uh, puts it in joke because he, they say t- Twitter and he reacts well Twitter. And apparently that's because in real life he hated Twitter and wouldn't have gone <laughs> it or something. So. Oh, we've not talked about Matt Smith yet. I mean Matt Smith, yes. I think it's been a while since I'd watched a Matt Smith episode somehow before watching this for the podcast. And the first moment he speaks on that climbing fame, I just got chills. I was just, I just miss him so much. <laughs> he's just he's just brilliant. He's everything I want in the doctor. Elaborate. <laughs> oh, he's just he's just perfect. He's he's got every trait of the doctor I like. Uh, he's adventurous and sly and unpredictable knowledgeable loud simmering dazzling uh he's clearly the central man in the room uh but he has that trout and thing of being able to underplay how clever or how nasty he's been um and he has a, a amazing chemistry with his companions so i just i love watching him i love him being there i think he's great and even i don't want in a way, I don't want him to be in the 60th in any sort of multi-doctor capacity. Um, I don't think we need a multi-doctor story. And it's very no, much it's very much the the mystery of sort of the degeneration into David Tennant and how Don has got her memories back. But if there is a bit of a flashback and it's like a new uh, a flashback where it's a, something we haven't seen, like old doctors, I think that could work. And I'd really like to see him for like two minutes. In a scene that would that would be really two special. minutes in a scene. Yeah, you know, just like if uh, if the toy maker is like interrogating him, yeah, um, and being like, "Oh, what other adventures have you done, or or have you not seen me in the background of your other adventures?" And then it it flicks to a Matt Smith scene that, that we've like, that, that we've work. never seen, and you're like, "Oh, because then you're getting a cameo in without it impacting the story in any sort of multi doctor capacity, and it's a nice thing for the fans." Um, yeah, that'd be amazing. But also, I will just put out: I'm not expecting it. I'm really not. I think I think the 60th specials are just going to be David Tennant and Catherine Tate. I think so as well. I've, I've, Phil Collinson today was quoted as saying that we don't need other doctors because we've done it before, which seems to kill off. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what if he's lying? <laughs> Keep you lying. Um, Matt Smith is is a curiosity for me. I mean, he's absolutely superb. You know my thoughts on this, like, where I think he gets worse as he goes, which is, like, one of the... I think the only Doctor where that happens. But I was really shocked when I watched this because while I remember in the Crimson Horror episode we did, I was, you know, rolling my eyes at... He comes out the, the, the thing and then kisses uh, Jenny. <laughs> and then I thought, what is he doing? What, what is going on? Why is the Doctor like this fucking... It's because him, Jenny, and Vastia have had a threesome. I explained it at the time. <laughs> Your mind. Um, and, but in this, I thought the scene where the, well, near the end where he restarts his hearts and then he does like the Freddie Mercury sort of thing. 
And I thought, I would, and I knew that was coming up, and I thought I would cringe at it because I thought, oh no, it's going to be, it's another one of these stupid over the top moments. But you know what? I actually really liked it. I actually found <laughs> it really funny. Yes, so, Dave. I don't know what's happening to me, but <laughs> I, maybe I'm, I'm falling with him having watched a couple of his episodes back. I don't know. But... So I, I, I do get that criticism. Um, I prefer him in series five. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say diplomatically that he gets worse. I think he he changes his performance each series, and I I really like him in some episodes of series seven. And I think he verges into a bit too like cringy in other episodes of series seven. Where in series five, as I say, he's he's quite laddy and he never really feels particularly cringy. And I think like that version of the character is yeah. just brilliant. And for me. Uh, but I do get that criticism, and I do also understand how you could, how someone could get the ick from watching him because he's so over the top sometimes. And he, he can't. I, I think I see it in Jodie Whittaker that anything she does sort of cringes me out and it gives me the ick. And I can understand how people have that with some of the stuff Matt Smith does, especially around this time. Yeah, because I feel the opposite with Jodie Whittaker. I never watched her and thought. What is she doing at all, to be honest? See, that's um, all I thought. Personal, <laughs> it's obviously just personal preference, but yeah, I never got quite got that at all, the same vibe for her at all. Um, yeah, it's interesting, but yeah, yeah. I, I quite liked him in this. I, I, I was quite shocked. I think it gets, I don't know what it is, something just seems to happen when Clara comes along. I don't know what it, it, I'm going to blame her again. I'm sorry, but just something happens when she comes along that he changes to just being really, really annoying. And, and I, I, yeah, I don't know. Is it that bit where he spanks her on the ass with the towel? Is that the? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just it, as you say. He's I get the whole he's a lad doctor that, and I totally agree. But it's almost like it it goes into it. I don't know. It just gets. Quite but it's funny though because he's a he's a lad doctor on. he's a lad doctor in series five when he's like not he's like he he sort of has laddie tendencies and and is quite laddie but doesn't particularly act on them whereas like in series seven he's he's he doesn't act like a lad but then he's he's you know shagging Queen Nefertiti and um, yeah, spanking I mean, Clara I... on the arse so it's it's weird how that shift happens it's like he loses his innocence. You but it's almost like, like he's putting it on because he's he's pretending that he's not a lad and he's not doing anything wrong. But actually, every other episode he's talking about short skirts. So... <laughs> yeah, it's almost like the, the it's almost like a guy who you know has a bit of confidence and then he becomes an arrogant so and so. It's almost like he switches over to that side of the fence a wee bit. I don't know. It's just I just don't know what he's doing in season. Six. I just don't like what he does in series seven. B. Although in saying that. He was all right in the Bells of St. John, which I did. But the Bells I of St. John is just him that. flirting with Clara for 35 minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, true, but I don't know. It's just this... I know, uh, I, I I, I'm being I'm being quite facetious. There's some episodes... No, 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 this is good. But uh, just, yeah, something happens to him in Series 7B and I just... Yeah, I've, I think I can't really say much more it's, on it. It's Clara's fault. We'll, we'll, <laughs> okay, we'll fault. stay with that. <laughs> it's... <laughs> <laughs> it can't be Matt Smith. It, we can't blame Matt Smith for that here. So it's Clara's fault. <laughs> I quite like. I really enjoyed them in this. Uh, I, in fact, in series seven A, he's 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 fine. It's just to say something happens after that Christmas episode that just, which is weird because they were all filmed out of order, weren't they? So he's 
I don't know what's going on. It, it's, yeah. uh, it's obviously what, however they've changed writing him for that relationship with Clara just doesn't gel with you properly. Yeah. But, yeah. but it's funny because he's so good in the snowman. Like, I think Matt Smith is brilliant in the snowman. Yes, but a big reason for that, I think, is which helps is that Clara's actually all right in that as well. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's what I mean. So it, it's more the relationship, isn't it? But it, it definitely changed his performance each series quite significantly. And I don't particularly think we have... a Well, actually, <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think we have a doctor that does that again, but Peter Capaldi literally does that as well. Um, but, it's, but yeah, it, Peter Capaldi feels like course correction, whereas I suppose this is just three separate ways of playing it but then say sorry saying that uh, again in in universe he's he is technically like quite a lot older than a series five counterpart isn't he because series yeah. six takes part over 200 years so again i can buy it it is a, there's a there's a reason why he would be a different person oh yeah i, I totally buy it i just don't necessarily you just don't like it <laughs> Very he was fun. really good in this i thought he was really good in this and you see a more vulnerable side of him as well because, of course, he knows that Amy and Rory are sort of slipping away a wee bit and are likely to, and he's afraid of that, isn't he? He's yeah. That I mean, the 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 speech bit is just it's just great. Uh, that that's the that's the key scene of the episode for me. I know we're not there yet, but um, that is the, the one key. with the the Tower of London outside. Yeah, it's just yeah. him and Amy. Yeah. Um, and that sums up all the themes and it's just a really nice speech. And yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> so he says Team Cube and kisses the cube, which I thought was a nice touch. And I love how he just, he's in the house, obviously, with Amy and Rory wanting something to happen with these cubes and nothing's happening. And he's going like cabin fever. He just can't, he, he's frustrated. He just can't do it. His life is obviously darting about throughout time and space. And he's just sitting in this room watching this tube and he gets so frustrated and he goes away and does the housework, <laughs> which, which is great. He doesn't just bugger off in the TARDIS. He's like, right, I need something to do. I can't just sit here and ends up doing the fence and uh, all sorts of other things. And he, and he does five million keepy-uppies. Yes. <laughs> I mean, how I don't know. I mean, I would struggle to do too. But, um, yeah, it's just really funny seeing him getting so frustrated and then he's just like, I can't do this. Yeah, um, it's a fun and after scene. After four days, he sort of gives up, doesn't he? After four days, he's like, I can't do this anymore. And he sort of leaves for a bit. Um, but in the meantime, we stick with what Amy and Rory are doing. So Amy's friend Laura asks her to be a bridesmaid. Well, of course, he gets... Uh, the hospital guy, Ranjit, says, right, what about that full-time job? And they both sort of are in the bed and say, I said yes. And yeah. I quite like it. Um it's just interesting to see how it affects people when he's not there. That they're just well, they're back in normal life mode, don't they? Yeah, yeah. It's a really nice scene, and we just don't really see this sort of stuff um, no. with companions. So you you definitely know that it's building to them leaving, because as you as you mentioned about the green death, it's the sort of stuff you get <laughs> in the build up to a companion leaving where they're ready to move on. So he's going to get a full time job, and she's going to be a bridesmaid. Yeah, but she's isn't she a, a writer or something at this point? She's a blogger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's a travel blogger, and then of course travel she writes blogger. novels after the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> Brian is diligently observing his cube and is keeping a log. This is so funny. <laughs> it's like 
He's just sitting there with his camera and saying, Brian's log day one, and then he's <laughs> day two. It's just the same. Nothing's happened. Nothing to report. And Rory's just taking the piss out of him, and he's like, well, the doctor wanted me to watch the cubes. Yeah, what a lad. What a great lad. And this is the bit as well where, isn't it, he's been the first four days before the doctor goes, he's been sitting in the TARDIS for four days watching the cube and doesn't realise the four days have passed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. He's not even taking his coat off. He's just sitting there, oh, never realised it was four days. <laughs> yeah, so in December, Rory is working in the hospital and doesn't pay any attention to a sinister young girl. And in one of the wards, an old man is kidnapped by two orderlies in surgical masks. That horrid cube face is bloody horrible. Oh, oh the, on the nurse men things. Ah, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really unsettling. The, the sort of grills on the mouth. Yeah, uh, I mean, the Shakri, I'm not quite sure why they would have a grill face, man. <laughs> a, but I guess uh, my theory is that like, uh, they wanted a humanoid thing and then they just, well, just shove a cube. It looks like he's got a cube just stuck on his face. Almost, and it's covered with the skin. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they're doing there or why they're taking people over like a year into that spaceship. Yeah, um, is this is is this the sort of stuff that was meant to be explained, but sort of got botched because of the ending. Well, with that bit, there's only really one line where it says the Shakri says something like um, "guinea pigs" or whatever it is done their job. So I don't know what. It's never really elaborated what that means. So I don't know whether (laughs) they're just looking at the humans and then like testing their hearts against the cubes. Or I don't know. It's not really explained. Yeah, it's strange. And the 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 girl that stood there as well. Did he say later on she's monitoring something? Um, Yeah, she's supposed to be monitoring the. The wormhole, but she doesn't really do anything because later on, when they all go in the wormhole, she's nowhere to be seen. She's not like she suddenly appears and goes, you know, alert, you know, or something, you know, to the shack. There's somebody coming in, or maybe she did, and then we don't see that. And then because he seems to just appear, doesn't he, when uh, he uh, when he appears in the ship? So, but yeah, it's not really explained what she's just. She's just sort of sitting there with a cube in her hand. Yeah, no, it feels like all that should have really been caught or explained. It's just not. It's not anything. It doesn't go anywhere. It's, no, it doesn't add anything. Yeah. Um. And like, why is no one even? Why is no one questioning it? She's she's in A and E in December, and then she's still there in June, and no one's asking what, yeah, why this girl has been in A and E for six months. Maybe they can't see her. I don't know. Um. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a theory. No, yeah. There's just there's no explanation. It it definitely feels like there might have been or would have been, but it's been lost because of the ending. I'd love to know what the heck did that guy do to get his foot trapped in the loo? Again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, Roy says it again. Um, <laughs> I don't I, know. I, don't I, haven't got, I haven't got the explanation. Has there been a toilet monster in Doctor Who? You got the girl with the star in her eye who's down the, the shower plug hole Yeah. the pilot. Um I, I I don't know. I haven't got. I can't reason that in with why a person's got the the foot down the toilet in a and <laughs> And he's managed to somehow get the toilet off and then put two toilet. I don't know. Answers on a postcard with that one. Um, yeah. One of the, so we keep getting this cut back to Amy and Rory throughout the year, and like they have a barbecue in July in Cardiff. Oh yeah, we hear. Um, I don't know at which point, but we heard Titanium by Sia. And I, I just love when we hear modern pop music in Doctor Who. <laughs> it's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I think is that when she's in the, the pub? Yeah, that maybe. I think it might just be a little bit earlier than this bit. Um, but yeah, I look this this is the bit of the episode that really works for me when they're just sort of flicking back and forth and you're seeing their normal life um without the doctor. Yeah. It's great. A lot of the things in Muffet that he does is these little mo- it must cost him a fortune a lot of his episodes because he has these little sort of moments um that like this we get to the Savoy bit where he comes and says, Right, I'm gonna take you to Savoy and we have this like 30 seconds minute where like he takes them to Savoy and it's a new different set, they've got new costumes, they've got an extra carrying the, the food, etc. But these tiny little like sort of jumping around things must cost must have cost him a fortune. Yeah, in that I, just, I, d- I did think that, yeah. Which, you know, like, and, it, and that was a whole bit, of course, with the, um, the Savoy Louis, stunning, by the way. And Henry, the, they've got Henry VIII and a Zygon ship, and it adds so much depth to the story, but it must, for a lot, it costs a lot of money for just what is a moment. Yeah, you know? I, I know, I, I agree. Do we think that um, Broton in Terror of the Zygons knows about? These these group of zygons that were there a hundred years before them, and by all by all sounds of it, succeeded. <laughs> yeah, um, I hadn't really thought about it. To be honest, there's been a, a quite a few zygon stories, hasn't there? I mean, did them um, was it ever explained that the zygons in the zygon two para are after they were aware of the zygons that were brought in that was there? No, I'm trying. What am I talking about? I'm talking at my arse because of course that's day the doctor and getting it. Yeah, I, they, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think the Zygons that are in the paintings and the Zygons that are in Terror of the Zygons don't have a clue that they've actually fully succeeded in uh, <laughs> in, in this period of history with um, in the Savoy, whatever happens there. It'll be a big finish one day. Oh, no doubt about it. But yeah, Broughton didn't know. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Brian's scene with the Doctor is so sweet. So he, they come back for the Savoy and... Of course, he's like, they're wearing different clothes. You know, how long were they away? And he says a couple of weeks, I think. And then he has this moment with him where he's quite serious and says, what what happened with all the other people that you travelled with? And he has to obviously, like, takes an intake of breath almost and is like, well, some of them left me, some of them got left behind, and some of them, not many of them will die, has died. And he's like, but not these, Brian, not these ones. And he, he gets quite... Not embarrassed, but he's sort of like he's having to justify to him. Well, he's asking the big question, Doctor. You know, like what what happens to him, and he can't yeah. lie about it. It's so good that the Doctor tells the truth, um, yeah. because it so easily could have been played off this question, but it gives it gives it a proper weight, and it gives it, the Doctor giving Brian respect, and just elevates him from being a comedy character. Yeah. I think. And also, actually referencing like the death of Adric, it did make me think at the time that these could die. If we're stating that's an option properly in the episode, then Amy and Rory could die, which I think is probably its purpose. It's to make you think that in the in next week, Amy and Rory might be dead. Uh, I mean, I'm glad they're not, as much as I joke about the tombstone. I, I'm, I'm always of the opinion that companions shouldn't die. So when, when Moffat brings him back, you know, when when a raven has gone through the chest, I'm all for it. <laughs> oh, that's another story. I mean, I mean <laughs> death of companions are. I mean, yeah, I don't think you could do it now. No, I mean, honestly. I I I don't think they should die, but I do think every time they have, it's been 
and a really a proper statement an amazing moment in both Daleks Master Plan and, and Earthshock they're unforgettable episodes for yeah. that reason and it does make I mean Adjik is so, would is so much fondly remembered than he would be because he gets that big ending that big powerful ending and so I could just be wrong but yeah I don't know companions can't die <laughs> I don't think you could yeah I don't think you could do it now because I think the emotional impact would be greater um, in a modern story. I mean, I can imagine it being really huge, sort of in the press and everything. Where, like, uh, oh, kids have, because of course they say like the modern series is more emotional and all that. Um, like you could imagine like it affecting a lot of children, <laughs> and if you yeah. like it would have been in the eighties. But I, I just don't know. I just, on the other hand, because Moffat did have the raven through the chest, I wish he had just stick to it and said, "Oh my God, that's the way to do it." I totally I know I do totally understand that opinion as well and uh, I mean we say that it can't happen and I, I also agree I don't think it, it can happen in the modern era but all I mean a lot of the teasing that Russell's been doing about the specials is like oh Donna's gonna die oh my god can't can't watch Donna yeah. she's gonna die um uh, like all all my sort of head tells me is that there's no way he could kill Donna off. There's absolutely no way. And with this build up and in a special, it's meant to be a celebration of Doctor Who, he can't kill off Donna. And yet, I think Russell is a dark, dark man. And yes. I and I wouldn't be <clears throat> okay, I'd be very shocked, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, or at the very least, she she might get a very dark ending. Um, like she might get Trapped somewhere or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she goes and lives but with I mean, the grandson. But to be fair, he's done the same as, as uh, Moffat in terms of like Rose was trapped in the parallel dimension, and I wish he had just kept her there. But well, he, he has that, that he has that thing of saying like companions are going to die, but actually she's in the parallel world, or one of them's going to die, but actually she just gets her mind wiped. Um, yeah. but, but I mean, you can't. You can't take any... Every choice Russell makes works because that bit on the beach is iconic. When Rose came back, it was iconic. Donna losing her memories was a lot more heartbreaking than Donna just dying. Um, yeah, so that. I'm all I'm all for seeing what happens. I think surely they get a happy ending in the 60th. Surely. I'd like to hope so. Uh, but <laughs> knowing Russell, I could see her coming on. Yeah, I think it could be a dark ending. It could. Her, but I don't know what that would be, but I think it'd be very difficult to kill a companion in the modern series. And I just think the impact of it would be greater than in the old days. Ooh, unless it was like Melanie Bush. Well, uh, that could happen because, of course, uh, However much Big Finish's stories are canon or not, I think they are canon, I regard them as canon. But trying to fit them in sometimes with what's happening in the TV series when people come back is difficult. But um, have you heard that in the audios? I'm not, I don't, I'm, no, I'm not familiar with um, Mel's audios, really. Well, she, I mean, I'm not giving anything away, but she comes back with when the Doctor's travelling with Ace and they've had quite a few adventures, but it's not that's not been resolved yet. Like the, She's still there. But of course, as we know, at the end of the seventh Doctor's life, she's not there. So something happens to her. She obviously gets dropped off or something happens. So I guess that doesn't all matter. The point is that 
with Mel, we don't know what's he, he could kill her because her story's not we don't know what's, what's happened there at well, that age. I'm also yeah, just thinking yeah. like because to many people, Mel well, Mel's not gonna be the companion, is she? Like she's our companion, no. but Ruby is gonna be the companion. So as in that secondary role, I could I could see someone may, maybe you could kill Mel off. You got loads of Mel fans right now are guy screaming at the microphone, don't kill Mel. But for just clarification, I don't want Mel to die either. I don't think companions. I could see die. that both happening because it would be very typically Russell to take a character that was much derided when she was on the telly and then give her this absolutely brilliant story. Make her amazing and then kill her off. Make her amazing and then kill So the doctor wants them to stay because he's missed them. Um, I mean, he's on the Wii. I mean, the bit where he's on the Wii is just. It's so I, funny I, as well. I love that because I loved the Wii. The Wii. I, I'm sad that gaming isn't as fun as as it was in the Wii days. <laughs> I'm I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean, how he moves the boot and isn't he sweating? It must be a time lord secret because he's got the shirt and tie on. He's doing this talking about Fred West and he's like, no broke a sweat to get. Not Fred West. Fred Perry. Oh, Fred Perry. <laughs> he wasn't playing tennis with Fred West. I, I oh, fucking yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Perry apologies. Um and he's and he's having fun with the with the wee basically saying, right, yeah, he's got it. Yeah. And he's just having so much fun. And then the cubes come to life. Yeah, yeah. It's it's great, isn't it? They're all the cubes all come to life. He's like Roy's like, oh, mine just took my pulse. And he's like, mine just fired laser bolts and it's now surfing the net. And it's 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 just... And you, you, you're ready for them to start doing something at this point, I think. You know, you're ready for them to spring to life. I love the idea that each cube in the world does something different. Like, it's testing humanity in all these ways. Like, what would happen if you pricked them? What would happen if you... Um, almost as if, like, it's not decided, perhaps, at that point, how it's going to kill humanity. I wonder why on earth it would have every cube, you know, doing something slightly different. Yeah, it makes for a great bit of storytelling, but when we find out in the end that they just choose to, <laughs> to heart attacks, um, you do wonder what, like, why they needed to go through tests. Yeah. It's fine. It's it's wiggly Doctor Who logic, isn't it? The one that would be a fate worse than death is the one that does the, as we see later, that's playing the chicken song. Can That's a imagine? great gag. That is a great gag. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, if that was the cube in your house? Oh, my God. <laughs> that would, you'd want to jump out the window and kill yourself rather than get the cube giving you a heart attack. You'd want, you'd want to... That would be a, it'd be a better ending if all the cubes were just playing that rather than, <laughs> rather than <laughs> heart attacks. <laughs> Rory's been called into work to treat people who have been injured by the cubes and Brian goes with him. Doc, the Doctor and Amy are taken to the Tower of London unit base and find that every cube is activated and then they stop. So we have this, um, so they've all been activated and then like, oh my God, you know, what's happening? And then quite cleverly, the Shakri's stop the cubes to make then everyone think, oh, well, it was just something that happened for a couple of minutes then and like a false dawn. Yeah, I, I do really hate the line, uh, seven sides of the cube. If you count the inside, that really gives me the ick. I think it's so dumb. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I hate it. I, and we never really find out what the whole seven thing is about. 
it's just oh it's the it's the seven boogans of the seven stations for the shakri that love the number seven um oh, yeah, yeah I, I hate all that stuff to be honest <laughs> yeah that doesn't quite make sense either just the fact that there's seven wormholes and there's seven i like the number seven for some reason okay why not call it the power of seven then it's I, I don't just know. Um, weird yeah this is around the point though where they have that speech isn't it as you said, just just before that, um, Kate uh, realizes that the doctor knows who she is. Yeah, because yeah. he's he's worked it out, and then he, she says, you know, the reason I didn't put Leftbridge in my name is because I didn't want any favors. Yeah, science leads, Kate. Um, yeah, it's all it's all good stuff, but like, I just I don't know. She's just not like the brigadier, is she? So. Uh... And, yeah, and, and like, she sort of shouldn't be because she's a different character, but I don't see the need to keep reiterating this is the Briggs daughter, isn't she great? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't really fit in a way. I'm trying, I've am i been trying to reconcile what her um, timeline would be then because she's in downtime, she's living on a boat <laughs> with, <laughs> a, with a young boy. With a boy, with her son, her son, I think, isn't it? Yeah. And suddenly then she goes from that to being in charge of unit and the scientific research basic unit. Yeah, it's like, it's a big jump. I mean, did did Lethbridge Stewart leave her loads of money in the world? It, <laughs> sounds, it sounds like Lethbridge Stewart definitely pulled some favours. Maybe that yeah. was why she dropped the Lethbridge. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, as you say, but then of this scene on the water, this uh, and it's got the music playing from... The angels take Manhattan, the, the haunting music, yeah, uh, which do, is quite prophetic. Do, do, do. That one, do, yeah. Do, do, do. yeah, it's great. It's, I mean, I, I love how it's played so low key by both of them. It just, it, it's a really lovely di- bit of dialogue, but uh, performed as if it is just two friends having a chat on a wall. Um, yeah. it. I mean, it, it not just sums up the Doctor's sort of outlook on life, but sort of how you change as a person, how your relationships change with people. Um, basically, as I keep saying, like growing up and the, yeah, the swelling music, the writing. It's it's the, the summary of the heart of the episode and it's the picture I see when people say the power of three. This is the, the, the visual that I think of. Yeah. It's a beautiful scene, isn't it? Just saying about how it, everything goes so fast and that he's not, she's saying, why do you keep running away then? And, and he's like, no, I'm not running away. I'm running to them before they disappear. Yeah, which, before they flirt and disappear forever. Yeah, just, is, just like Amy and Rory are about to do. Beautiful. You've never heard the doctors like talk it in that way before. It's just, I'm running at them before they disappear, which, yeah, never really thought about that before. They're, yeah, and I think yeah. the more Matt Smith becomes a little bit goofier, he becomes a little bit more closed to his emotional side. So when it drops yeah, again in in moments like this, it's really nice to see again. I, I it's the best bit of Chibnall writing such dialogue for me of anything he's done. This little speech, it's just brilliant. And saying you are the first because he's saying about. How he, because he, and he obviously says that in his regeneration as well that this was the first face this face saw. Oh, and yeah. I don't want, he's, I'm, you're, you're seared on my hearts, I think he said. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's such a lovely line that yeah. the first face. And she put her head on his shoulder, and yeah, it's just you believe how close they are because it, you can believe it's been ten years travel. Or exactly that. Years, right? <laughs> but... It's two friends that have been friends for ten years, but know that they're going to be going in the separate ways and they won't see each other as much in the future. It's beautiful. The doc realises the cubes have been assessing humanity and are now counting down from seven. A national security alert is declared and Brian is kidnapped by two orderlies and wheeled into an elevator. Yeah, the hospital just suddenly goes quiet. Um, the grill-faced men take Brian for... I don't know. I don't know why. Um... None of this makes any sense at this at this point. The the stuff happening in the hospital really suffers from whatever happens with the ending because it doesn't yeah, make much it, sense. It, yeah, it just sort of grinds to a halt, doesn't it? Um, where why on earth these guys are just got a, a spare sort of trolley with them? I don't know. I mean, were they picking someone else up and <laughs> they just sort of appear? And then Brian's in the wrong place at the wrong time and gets taken, you know. And it's a really, it's meant to be a really busy hospital. And he's just in yeah. this really long <laughs> corridor with absolutely no sounds and no people around. And it's never explained. It's just so strange. Yeah, it's the, I mean, the girls funk, I mean, I've talked about that as well. I'm just looking at my notes and realizing if I talk about that, talk about that. So sorry. Mm-hmm. I'll be editing quite a lot of this one because I'm just sleeping shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we see the base of the shack tree now. Now, I quite like the look at it when you see it. Like, he goes in, he, he Rory runs after his dad, goes into the, the obviously the elevators, a wormhole, goes in, and then you see this um, sort of sanctum area. Yeah, I mean, I, it's fine. It looks like any sort of sci-fi set, really, to me. I quite like the blue uh, little glow around the edge, but... It's just, it's just a sort of basic spaceship, I think. <laughs> you know, it's like a battle look quite good. <laughs> I mean, it's just sort of like an empty room with seven beds in it, isn't it? Of course it's seven. Yeah. <laughs> the countdown reaches zero, and then, of course, what starts to happen is eventually everyone starts collapsing. And one of the doctor's hearts stops. The cubes are killing people by sending an electrical surge into the nearest human heart. Um, and there be, we find out, of course, that there's seven wormholes now, and one of them just happens to be Rory's Hospital. What a shock that is, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, Matt Smith with the heart thing, like I said earlier, I mean, I thought it was really funny on the chair, where he's like, you know, like, ah, and you know, like, how can you cope with only one heart? How do you someone? people cope? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I thought I, I was, as I say, I would cringe at the bit where he, where he you know, gets resuscitated by Amy. And does the whole, yeah, left, welcome back the lefty. lefty. But I actually really liked it. I actually found it really funny. Yeah, I, I, I like I liked it at the time and I like it now. I don't like that the cubes cause heart attacks, though. And I, I really don't like it. It's weird that Chibnall has this sort of glum way for people to die. And he does sort of do grim sort of typical life realism a lot like he does graham's cancer um in in the background of his series and i just think stuff like heart attacks and sort of realistic cancer it's just a bit too glum and shit for doctor who like and i think especially with this when the cubes have been quite a fun idea 
they should really be killing people in a fun Doctor who way and not just, like, people having heart attacks. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, with, with all the things that the Shakti could have done, with all the things that these cubes have done, it chooses to do electrical charges out the, the cubes rather than laser on them all. It could, it could have literally done anything <laughs> they wanted. Yeah, I mean, you know, Doctor Who is about sort of the cubes turning people into fat blobs or turning them to gas mass zombies. It's yeah. not about, it's not the mundanity of just giving them all heart attacks. And it it do, really doesn't work then when they reverse it. And it's just like, well, the cubes defib them all back to life. It's like, yeah, but a third of the planet exactly. had, a, had a heart attack. Exactly. Uh, it's a global crisis. So a third of the population's dead before the second phase. Yet somehow at the end, they managed to reverse it and everyone's alive and everyone's fine. No, if they had been out, and I think they say like it's 30 minutes or something, you'd be dead. You yeah, know, like, it's not like somebody has a heart attack and sits on the ground for half an hour and then, oh, I can still bring them back to life. I mean, medically, I don't think that would happen. You know, it's even worse. It's not even just that, like, the defibbed back to life. When, when he does it and you see the footage of them on the street, they all just start standing back up as if they've yeah. fallen over. <laughs> you haven't fallen over. You had a cardiac arrest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very uh, naive in terms of the medical research on this, that that was what would happen. <laughs> but I mean, it, you would literally very... be dead. Or if you were alive, you would be not in a good way, obviously. As you say, you wouldn't be just getting up and going, oh, God, I had a bit of, bit of heartburn there. I can just, oh, just go and walk yeah. down the road. It's very strange. Stephen Moffat's a clever bloke. Chris Chibnall is, you know, probably knows that that can't happen. And I don't know whether it's just a bit of laziness or whether it's just like laziness in the scripting department or whether it's just a, a product of time where they haven't had the time to fix yeah. it or combined with this Stephen Burkoff issue at the end that it, it kind of, uh, you know, everyone watching, including fans, non-fans, have just been like, how fucking stupid is that? Because that it yeah, is... I mean, other, yeah, I mean, the other thing that's silly is the fact that after the first wave... Kate Stewart's been told to tell everybody across the world, stay away from the from the cubes, right? So everyone stays away from the cube, and this alien is going to say there's seven waves, or there's meant to be seven waves of this to kill everybody. But if everyone, nobody's going near a box, how on earth would that plan work? Because, <laughs> you know, it's supposed to charge the nearest human being or whatever they say, but if everyone's staying away from the boxes, won't, they, won't folk just stay away from the boxes and you'll be all right? Yeah. It, it it all really falls apart here, and it's it's it is annoying because it's it was such a fun idea in the first twenty twenty five minutes as we yeah. said. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean the doctor's now seen this girl, this sinister girl, and goes, "What's this? This is I think this is before he has the heart attack," and says it's a droid monitoring area, and she and just sort of uses a sonic screwdriver, and she just sort of rolls her eyes and oh right, I'm I'm so the shot is taking over this girl to be like a like a watch girl almost yeah it doesn't make any sense i i would <laughs> love i would love um yeah chris chibnall see the target novel of this because it because yeah, he right. could write it how it was meant to be um <laughs> saying that we'd probably get more seven of the seven of the shakri so maybe not <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor and amy uh find it obviously it's the hospital they go to the hospital and they find out where this wormhole is and go through the wormhole and the doctor revives Rory 
And Amy and Rory wheel Brian to safety while <laughs> the doctor confronts who's behind this? The Shakri. Um, that shot when Brian is wheeled away is hilarious, where he's just standing on, and he just sees the Shakri and he sort of, what the, who the heck is this? Did you think it's funny? I've always found it a little bit creepy. Like, I don't know, I don't know what it's meant to be, whether it's meant to be him, as you say, like just being shocked, or whether it's him a bit petrified of like what's going on. With the, um, I think he was sort of like in shock at what the heck's this? Who's I've that? always thought it was quite a creepy shot that I was going to bring that oh, up. Okay. Um, so it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. I can see how it can be taken both ways, but yeah. The Shakri, right? I mean, <laughs> obviously, we'll get into the what the ending is, but basically, I think he looks all right, but he does absolutely know he's probably the most ineffective <laughs> villain in the new series of Doctor Who, in that he's reduced to a obviously a. AI interactive hologram thing, and he does literally nothing but just spout some random pieces of rubbish, and then disappears. <laughs> he looks like he's got the, the outfit's like a Halloween outfit, a wee bit. Yeah, he's got a towel on with with black nail. I I I like the face, the stone like face, but I don't think it's the most uh, brilliant looking Doctor Who monster. Not by a long shot. There's there is a part of me that thinks. Thank God it it went wrong. Actually, just 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 because we get it over with a bit quickly. I mean, Doctor Who shouldn't be doing Time Lord myth monsters that live in different dimensions when there's only seven minutes left of the episode. We there's just no room to do anything there. Uh, the whole thing that we had this. Yeah, and it just it's not needed. The, the whole the beauty of this story is that it's simple. It's a nice little, you know, breather. We've got simple cubes doing fun things. We've got this. We don't need a Time Lord myth monster that comes from a different dimension. Blah, 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 blah. It all feels a bit too Ranskorov Colos for me in that. That sort of derivative sci-fi junk garble stuff. Yeah, he literally just stands here and says things like, the telly must be paid. And I was like, <laughs> what the hell is he talking about? It makes no it's, sense in the context. I mean, who is the tally? We keep hearing about. We hear about the tally. Apparently, is just thing or that because it turns out that the Shakri are supposed to be like pest controllers, and they've been given orders basically to wipe out humanity before they go into space and pollute it in their eyes. But this tally that they keep talking about, the tally, we serve the tally. It's like, what's he talking? Yeah, about? he could. He could very easily be uh, one of the drunk guests at Amy and Rory's barbecue, <laughs> just sat in the corner <laughs> spouting crap because. You're right. There's there's no mention of the tally. We we as the audience don't know what the tally is. Uh, by the look of it, Stephen Burkoff also doesn't know what the tally is. <laughs> he's literally looks like he's saying the lines and he hasn't got a clue the context of what he's saying at all. He's just spouting the lines and it's just like looking quite. What am I doing here? Is what is what is what it looks like to be. Yeah, and even like I quite like. Um, no, I don't like the idea of them being pest controllers, actually. But I do like when they describe the cubes as slug pellets. I think that's yeah. a nice idea that you've got humans have took the cubes in like slugs would take a pellet in and it's caused their downfall. That's great. But I don't see how a pest controller from a different dimension that's obsessed with the number seven is also a Time Lord mythological monster that's took a year to do this invasion and also sends two nurses out with grill faces and a little girl <laughs> robot thing. It, none of it connects. It doesn't make no, any sense. No, it doesn't sense. quite make sense because if they're that powerful, as you say, they've got cubes that could have done anything. I mean, yeah, it just... It, 
I mean, yeah, it doesn't make any sense at all, does it? No. I, I do like the the bit before um they see we see this actually where the the doctor and Amy she takes his hand before they go through the one pole as if like when they just like right yeah. let's go through the pond, and uh, that shot where the doctor is looking at this this thing through the computer and you just it's like the other side of the glass and he says you know I thought you were a myth <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah it's just this human contagion I mean does nobody in the universe in the future like the human race because well, <laughs> every one of them wants us wiped out I know? don't I don't blame them <laughs> well, be fair, I probably would do the same it'd be fair if I was in um, the way the human race is going but but it is all just generic monster kills humans for generic yeah. non-reasons. And that's always a bit disappointing. But I think because it is so short, like it's what, as I said it as a joke that thank God it goes wrong so we get it over quickly. But like it does mean we get it over quickly. So it feels like the power of three is 35 minutes of Amy and Rory balancing the life thing. And then you get 10 minutes of something that doesn't really make sense with, with Stephen Burke yeah. off at the end. And it, and that almost makes it better than it might have been if we'd have had all if, if, that, had, mean, yeah. if that had been sacrificed for like some more of the Shaqui stuff and it wasn't that good anyway, or it was a bit generic. This could be a lot worse in my eyes because the 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 thing that makes this unique is that sort of balance in the lifestyle, um, chilling out vibe, which is exactly why they changed it. Is what you just said because oh yeah yeah because um. Yeah, we'll get to what the ending was, but yeah, it's pretty generic. So I think that's they've done exactly the same thought process as you have, where they looked at it and went, "Nah, we've got to have, we've got just focus on Amy and Rory. That's more <laughs> an interesting story, you know." But then, um, because it's Doctor Who, you do have to have a monster. You do have to have something happen, and yeah. that does impact a lot of Doctor Who stories. But if it wasn't there, then we'd be like, well, "It's not Doctor Who." <laughs> so I do like Matt Smith's uh, the Doctor's speech where he's basically talking to this interface and says, but, you know, the human race learns, if you look at what their achievements were against everything else, I'll back the human race every time. But what is what is really funny, really, is that the Shakri's talking about, I intend to erase humanity, the human contagion will be eliminated, blah, 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 blah. And then he just disappears. He just sort of goes off and the doctor says, well, he wasn't really here, he was just a hologram. <laughs> so this hologram is just appearing to literally just go, I am going to kill everybody. And then he just goes off. That's yeah. it. That's, that's his contribution. And he says the second wave is going to begin. And then he, because we know because of the filming and all that, but the way we've got it now, he doesn't come back. So even when the doctor does his resolution, he doesn't come back and go stop or anything. Or there's it's like a built-in defense mechanism. He just sort of just oh well, he's just he doesn't appear again. I know it's 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 sort of it is the sort of thing that just doesn't happen in any other show. Any other show, things are pretty much explained quite well and are <laughs> happen for like normal reasons. Doctor Hayes nuts and uh, I'm, it is nuts. I'm and, loving because it's nuts. It's and just, all this. It's, it's, there's so yeah. many things wrong with this ending, but we just sort of let it wash over us because the episode on the whole is quite good. <laughs> and I mean, he just gets to Sonic and says, right, I've just got it to blow up. Run. What about all these people that were still on the ship? I mean, did he wheel them out? Are they dead? Are oh they... my God, I never even thought of that. Yeah, well, let's hope they were dead. <laughs> he's just, yeah, he's just, right, we're going to blow our ship up. Let's go. Uh, what? 
And as you say, everyone just gets up from having a heart attack and walks away. And there's not been a third of the population in the world wiped out at all because everyone lived apparently, or very few died. It's yeah. just very it, bizarre. The, very I think bizarre. even the story tries to just get on with it and forget it <laughs> as quick <laughs> as it can, <laughs> in the hope that you will at home too. Um, I sort of do. <laughs> the Shaq Fee, of course, has then been blown up or sent wherever he is. And we get back to the real story, which is Amy and Rory, and they're having dinner with Brian and the doctor, and he's going to leave the doctor, and Brian says they have to go with the doctor, saying, just bring them back safe, and you go and save every every world you can, you know, I'll water the plants. Yes, yes. And that's such a sweet myth where he's just like, you uh, uh, go for it. Yeah, and it's obviously a bit more bittersweet as well in in retrospect of what what happens, because actually he's never going to see them again. Now. No. So, yeah, it's a lovely last scene. Uh, the very last line is cringy for me, though. I, I, I don't think, I don't, I don't <laughs> it think it should bit, be. It either. was a bit sort of, right, I know what you mean. It's, because the Shakri like... didn't know what cubed actually means. The power of free. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> It is very sort of oh god, like chocolate box sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah too much. Uh, I did just want to mention one little bit before that. Uh, when Kate Stewart sticks her hand out to shake the doctor's hand, and he he just mugs her off. He like put he puts his <laughs> hand out and then yeah. does that does this pulls out of it and laughs at her. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that's my doctor. <laughs> of course, the next episode is where we find out what happens to me and Rory. But there was. For Brian's story, that PS uh, mini thing that you can find on the, the website, and we find out that obviously he gets a grandson, and um, it looks like he's got a paid house because if Amy Rory doesn't come back, surely that house is his, or he's got their mortgage <laughs> to pay off. Um, I'm assuming the doctor gave them the house without any problems. He's well, anyway, yeah. um, but the doctor doesn't go back and tell him. Yeah, they're like they're not coming back. The selfish guy. He doesn't. He, he, well, we don't see that anyway. He doesn't go back and say, "Sorry, Brian. Um, they're in New York. Sorry. Um, and there's going to be a great grandson or whatever it is coming to your door." He's he's famously the man that never looks back. He never looks back. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Poor Brian. It is poor Brian. I mean, I think he's <laughs> he's the one that is the big. It's heartbreaking, really, because he's just that's the last he sees of him. Until the grand, the great grandson comes to the doorstep and says, hey, "Actually, I'm related to you." Sorry. <laughs> yes, it is very horrible. <laughs> I do like though the. I mean that line is cringy, but the last shot just I'm just outside the TARDIS, and it just made me think seeing it about how when they went into Doctor Who, the three of them, that of course the critics, everyone thought, "Oh, they're what's going to happen now?" David Tennant's left. Russell T. Davies has left, and that the show would struggle, basically, they were thinking, but it flourished under them. Yeah, and that it shot's really gorgeous, and uh, yeah, just how the journey that they've been on up to that point, it just all comes flooding back at that shot. Were you crying at that uh, bit as well? Uh, no, no, it was more the confidential bit, because it's the, it is that shot, but um, they come out and then they're all sad and then I got sad. Not as sad as the Angels Take Manhattan Confidential, but it wasn't confidential, was it? It was um, it was like Doctor Who YouTube, like behind the scenes thing. Um, but there was 
there's one on the angels take manhattan where the film and the raggedy man goodbye bit and amy oh. and the matt smith are just in tears and i was watching it like i can't cope <laughs> <laughs> oh that that scene when, when at the end of angels take manhattan and he and he's crying like he completely breaks down in the graveyard that gets me every single time oh, just seeing the doctor like that it's just it's horrible it's so good <laughs> Other facts, the power of free then. Before we get to what the ending was supposed to oh, be. Oh, you still keeping me from the real. There end. was going to be inserts from the voice in Britain's Got Talent with the cubes. So in the Britain's Got Talent one, there was going to be a man juggling with five cubes and four buzzers sounded. And, <laughs> and in the voice, all four judges were going to swing around with their I want you buzzers uh, to talk to a... Now, it says a troubadour with a guitar who was standing in the middle of a circle of cubes. Now, I did look up what a troubadour is, but I can't remember now what it is. No, I'm, I don't know either. It's some sort of musical instrument, I think. Exposed. So they just see a circle of cubes with a, with a guitar and go, we want you. Um, <laughs> Stephen Moffat suggested having Brian urging Amy and Rory to continue their travels with the Doctor, so it ended more upbeat and left the audience feeling less than like it would be in the Angels Take Manhattan. So it was his suggestion to add that upbeat. Pardon. Yeah, well, it does make it feel like they get one final fun adventure before the the one, the next one. The story was significantly restructured in editing, as we first said. There was quite a lot of the deleted stuff, so the wedding scene ran much longer. Uh, with Laura noting that she already had people as Amy missed everything because her job took her away all the time, and she'd missed Dave's wedding and Danny's divorce, Joseph's christening. Mrs. Shanahan's funeral, obviously we don't know who these people are, but mm. it's just she's missed a lot. Which then switched to a scene in the interior of a nice blue alien tent with a countdown in progress and the gang saving the day. So that goes back to, I think, the original start that Chibnall had in this first draft. Um, yeah. There was also lots more cut shots of cubes in London in the UK. Um, and the Doctor and Kate had a scene um, where they were talking about how the international community were reacting to this whole situation. Um, and she says, by arguing, some think these are gifts from God, some are signed from Allah, others are claiming it's a Western stunt, and the KGB of the Kremlin believe in the Cubes or espionage observation units. And the doctor replied, everyone's seen their own hopes and paranoia reflected back at them. Huh. Which, which I think would probably, as I say, would be exactly what would happen. Yeah. Kate went on to say that she couldn't get cooperation because they, if they don't agree to responses to atrocities, she doesn't stand a chance with something that looks benign. There was another scene with Brian asking them to speak to the doctor about travelling with him, saying, I want to be a granddad, Rory. I'd be really good at it. Don't make me wait forever. So that sort of all got cut out, but there was film scenes where he's he's wanting to be a granddad. Ah, oh, and that fits in quite well then, doesn't it? With the PS thing. With the PS thing, yeah. I, I do hope we see... There must be so much deleted scenes, and not just from this episode, yeah. from a lot of New Who. You get like the odd one that sneaks out, but there must be so much more. And I think one day when you know they do do them Blu rays, it's going to be like watching new missing episodes in a way because we're just going to see these deleted scenes that are, are properly authentic of the time, but yeah, like no, we've never seen before. It's strange to think, yeah, I mean, the Muffet. Doesn't he seem to put his deleted scenes on the Blu-rays and DVDs, does he? But Russell did. But 
all these ones when and I'm reading about it, it's like why have we never seen these? Why right. they're on a cutting room floor somewhere? Just get them on the disc. <laughs> get them on the disc. Describing their life since the doctor gave them the house, Amy said, it's all shopping lists and electricity bills and biscuits and I love it. And I love you. And I love the privilege of when we're together. So it's just adding a bit more to that scene, I think, on the bridge where they're just she's saying how it's conflict between I like this life, but also like life with you. And yeah. trying to do the two of them is becoming difficult. Right. So <laughs> there we ending, go. So Rory entered the sanctum and saw the hospital beds and the orderlies. They said to him, what seems to be the matter? Just lie down on the bed. And syringes appeared in their hands. There seemed to be that they had... I never really noticed it in the episode, but they were carrying syringes, which yeah. becomes a plot point. Rory grabbed a, trip, a drip stand to whip one of the legs out from underneath them, and their chest and growl sparked and exploded. The other then also collapsed and exploded. He tried to get Brian conscious when two discs of blue light appeared and exploded fire at him, slamming him against the wall, paralysed. The Shakri emerged from the darkness and examined Rory with disgust. Now, I'm not going to try and do a, a, the accent of, uh, <laughs> of uh, um, Stephen Berkov, but so many of them crawling the planet, seeping into every corner, reading and fighting. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Keep it up. I feel like I'm the... And when cornered, they urged to destroy. And Rory said, let the others go. Keep me and let the others go. I think it understands. I understand I came through some sort of portal in space that I'm probably not on Earth. And I understand you've been taking people. The samples have served... <laughs> the samples have served their use now. The first wave is released. The cleaning begins. The planet shall be cleansed. The tally shall be met. So it sounds like the tally are a tally of who they've to kill. So I'm assuming it's the tallies, the whole human race, I think. Yeah, yeah, sounds right. How many waves are there? Said Rory as he saw a pile of dormant cubes. Seven. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Shakri again. With the doctor later on, when the doctor appears, he says, not Earth humanity, the tally demands restitution. He saw all time and, and judged humanity a pestilence. Amy and Rory then run at the Shakri and avoided energy bolts putting a syringe in each shoulder and the doctor sonicked its eyes, causing it to slump back paralysed. After the doctor reconfigured the cubes, the Shakri staggered to its feet. What have you done? When the doctor said to his friends to run. Then you have the, you have the Shakri saying, and I wish they'd kept this bit actually, the Shakri will find you. We cannot be destroyed. The seven shall come for you. So basically, he wasn't a... Hologram, he was a real breathing creature. They yeah. get syringed in his shoulders to knock him out. He does the reconfigure the cubes thing and then says they have to run and the shark he gets up and does the whole Doctor Who thing of I you cannot kill me or something and that's it. I would have liked to see Rory stab him with a syringe, I've got to admit. Um but I mean it still doesn't explain quite a lot of <laughs> what happened to the power three. Including the the robot girl and the grill man, um, but yeah, I mean it it would have worked better if he was a physical thing and not a hologram. But you know, but hey ho. It sounds like from what I read, they were cut out. So it sounds like Berkov did film doing that, but whether or not he done it in a way that was satisfactory for the production, I don't know. Maybe he just phoned it in. I don't. I don't know. Jesus but... Christ! How bad can it be if 
if what we saw was satisfactory and what was recorded <laughs> was not. Because that whole scene was bombed and then cut out. So oh my god, where are must, the deleted scenes? I I'm going to Instagram Stephen Moffat right now and ask for the Power Three deleted scenes, please. I want them before the series ten soundtrack. Another thing right at the end, though, was, was something I'd, I'd never thought about. The Doctor said to Kate that the cubes will begin to disintegrate now that the Shakri connection is broken. Oh, yeah. Because I, I never we just got the cubes there. What happens to them? I never thought about what the cubes do. Yeah. Oh, well, that's nice. I'm glad they just faded away. Yeah, so they, they don't But well, to be fair, in... they, they do just appear in, don't they? Um, so maybe I just thought they appeared out. Back so, yeah, to the they... seventh dimension. So yeah, not the. I hope I wasn't promising a super duper ending, but that was the ending that was filmed and was going to be the ending. Yeah, so it it still it still is a bit of a, a Chibnall script issue. Yes. Uh, that doesn't explain anything. But as I say, it it's almost definitely a happy accident. Then if we get five minutes because you know the the thing that probably would have got quit out is all the fun sort of playing on the Wii and painting the garden and all the, the stuff that the you actually remember for, from this episode. Um, so, yeah, it, it's probably a good thing. Because overall, it is, it's a very, very easy watch, isn't it? I think that's what yeah. I like about it, is Doctor Who, sometimes you have to concentrate, sometimes you have to... Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's always all right to watch, obviously, with Doctor Who fans, but there's something about the Power 3 that can just wash over you. You can sort of chuck it on whenever. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It is a very, um, you can just sit back and there's no, as you say, comment. Right, what happened five minutes ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not. There's no, yeah, it's no, uh, it's not flux, is it? It's not one of those. <laughs> it's... <laughs> I know you don't like flux, but I, I like it. Um... <laughs> I, it's it's okay. It's okay. I, more of the Santarans and ain't. The angels. Oh no, no! Once upon time, I was a big fan of Once Upon Time. I love Once Upon Time. I, I was, that is one of the most underrated episodes of that era by a mile. I was this. probably one of my favorite episodes of the era. I was so surprised when I came on to Twitter and on that night, and everyone had slammed it to hell. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh no, it's Chibnall actually doing something interesting and different. And people, anyway. <laughs> Final thoughts on the power of free. Yeah, it's it's great. It's not it's not a classic, and it's probably not really in like my top fifty of the new series or anything like that. Um, but it's it's so lovely. It's so easy. Um, it gives the Doctor and Rory and Amy a, just a chance to hang out and have fun in a low stakes environment before the big heartbreaking finale I, I, I say low stakes environment i mean the whole world has a heart attack but <laughs> so we're, we're ignoring yes. that um but yeah i think fundamentally it asks the question what happens to doctor who when you grow up and and uh and it's interesting to see that played out i mean the answer is you can only you you only get away from it if you get zapped to a time when you can't physically watch it uh, so <laughs> that's that is the answer <laughs> Um, yeah, so like, I think, I think that my general vibe throughout this podcast is probably gonna chime with what I'll say now, but I couldn't really care less if the cubes were underwhelming or the shakri and the monsters are unexplained. I just, 
appreciate having 45 minutes, a final breather with uh, my two favourite companions and my best, my favorite, my TARDIS team and just having that nice little breather before the big the big end game next week. I couldn't put any better really uh, than, than, than that. Um, I, I just really enjoy it. Um, it's, as you say, it's a, a lovely breather before the, because next week, as we know, the main take my hat in, which is a story for another time, is a uh, very bang, 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 bang. There's so much going on. And if you just went from Town Called Mercy to Angels, I think you would have missed a lot. Um, that like you would have missed this opportunity to just see why they're so good, really. Can't believe I'm saying that about Amy, but she's actually very, very good in Series 7. Um, yeah, I, I can't even put any better than what you've You've said, really. Yeah, and it does make the stuff in Angels hit a bit harder because you've had time to to breathe with them. And I did always like this um, in in RTD's time that you'd have your your love of monsters and your blink and that before the finale because it did just lower the stakes and it was just to breathe that before you and it just got you a bit more excited for when it got big again in the big finale. Um, and as I said, I said at the beginning, I was sort of. Not anxious that we'll miss that in the future because I'm sure Doctor Who's going to be great regardless. Um, but I do have a soft spot for these sort of less explosive, just some more chill episodes. Yeah, I, I, if it was slam bang wall up every week, it would, yeah, it it would be missing something, wouldn't it? You you need these episodes that just sort of take a more sedate approach. You're doing um, the new series. I obviously, I like I, I'm talking as a new series fan. Classic Doctor yeah. Who didn't have these episodes at all um, and was fine. But then I think Classic Doctor Who, you sort of had four weeks to get, you know, into a world and into a city and, and then you're ready to leave and go on. Whereas, like, as you say, bang, 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 bang. Um, I think it really helps the new series to have these little breathers unsure if we'll get them i'm sure doctor will be great but especially with the emotion the new series tries to pack in as well episodes like this really help to to sell it yeah we've been eight episodes as well in shaki's shaki but (laughs) (laughs) the 15th doctor's time um you know it's going to be interesting to see whether we still get episodes like that because obviously the number of shorter um, episode count, but he'll put something in. It'll be interesting to see whether he puts two parters in actually, because he might not bother with it's only eight episodes. Yeah, uh, I think if we do get something like this, it might more be in the spin offs, you know, that have less yeah. money and less, uh, I don't know, but you you could get episodes like this in the spin off, uh, the, the, the spin offs that are expected. Obviously, these are confirmed, but. Yeah, I could see that more likely. Two parts is an interesting one, isn't it? Maybe what you you couldn't really do more than one or two, maybe just one. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's scary because it suddenly starts cutting down Doctor Who's story count, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll have a two part finale. I think so. Yeah. Other than that, I think well, I think there will be standalone. I don't think. Do you think we'll get the musical episode? Um, that would be an interesting one. Um, it would work. I've got no doubt it would work. Yeah. Uh, 
Doctor Who and the Pirates, and there's been a couple of audios where they've done music. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a great audio. Uh, I mean, it's no doubt it can work. Um, it'd be ballsy to do it, I think, with the telly, but I think it would work. I, I hope we get it. In that sort of episode four slot, halfway through the series, just something yeah. a bit fresh and new. Um, I know in RTD, like, if, if there were, like, original songs, I could, like, fully see them going in the UK top 40 chart that week. <laughs> well, Money Gold's got fun for doing well, that. And that, and you know, some of the there's some of the songs that Murray Gold does at Christmas are, are absolute bangers. Imagine them over forty five minutes. Yes, please. <laughs> Stick out moment. Oh, of this, oh, well, I, yeah, yeah. I've alluded to it many times. I've not. It's that speech on the on the wall, looking at London as two friends that know they're going to go separate ways um, for no other reason but life. It's it's really beautiful. I thought you'd say that, so I chose something different. Uh, <laughs> um, I just like the Brian and Rory bit where he's he's starting his blog. <laughs> and he's just like, you know, Brian's blog's day one, and he's just in the background, Rory, sipping on his coffee or whatever, and he's just like, just smirking, just like, what? <laughs> what is this? I just love the character of Brian. I just wish they'd brought him back. But Yeah, they work so well together. Um, I mean, it's one of those things could, could Big Finish mine that if they manage to get their hands on on our, uh, Arthur what's he called? Not Arthur, Arthur Darville uh, what's the oh, Brian uh, Williams Matt Williams isn't it? Is it Arthur Williams? Is it Arthur Williams? <laughs> I mean, I'm getting too many Arthurs I'm getting confused What's he called? Uh... Oh Mark Williams it's not Mark. Plays, plays, plays Brian. Yeah, the guy who plays Brian. Is it Mark Williams? Sure, it's Mark Williams, no? Uh, I'm always there. It's it's Mark Williams. Sorry, you're so right. Hey. I, don't know. Oh, I didn't think it was Mark. Um, yeah, because they sort of have Arthur Darville because they've done sets of him, haven't they? Um, but if they could get Brian and do like a, a two-hander with them two, that'd be... Take my money. <laughs> Oh, I'd buy it. <laughs> I'd definitely buy it. Well, thank you once again, Luke, for your time and having this chat about Power of Free. It's been cool. Oh, it's been wonderful. I mean, I I like how, not by any sort of design, but I've just ended up on the Series 7 episodes because I do feel like quite a hardcore defender of Series 7 because everyone else seems to hate it. So it's nice, <laughs> it's nice to come on. It's nice to come on in a... Do do some good work for the underrated series. Uh we they need it. <laughs> no, <I'm laughs> we all need it. Uh, it's good to get a different perspective on stories like this. But uh, we're we're on the same wavelength for this one. But uh, yeah, series seven is yeah, it's not the most popular season as you say, but it's their own. I, I love the fact you love it. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I've noticed that uh, you've been up to quite a few things on Twitter. Obviously, your podcast. Uh, finished. Is it any chance of revival there, or is it completely? I, uh, no, it's 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 not that I don't like podcasting, uh, and I still stay in contact with Chris, who I did the podcast with. Um, it was just a workload of it. I I yeah. much prefer um, just popping up on other people's podcasts so they have to edit it all, and then I can go home. Uh, I, don't, I was always watching Doctor Who 
to make notes and to write, you know, and to get analysis for podcasts and stuff, which you'll well be aware of. Um, it's been great this year for like the first year in three or four years where quite a lot of the Doctor Who I've watched, I've watched it just out of pure enjoyment and yeah. with with RTD coming up and everything, I, yeah, I'm just going to stick to that. I think I, I do, I, I will um, put a review up, I think, on the blog for the specials and see how that goes and see if I like that. Um, I'm sort of testing myself to see if I can write quickly because I'm right. I like writing, but I'm really slow and I'm really torturous of myself. So the recent like big finish ones that I've put on my blog have been experiments, really, of if I can write something that's decent quite quickly and crank it out. Um, I quite like to try that for the Star Beast and Wildly Yonder and the Giggle, but we'll see because it's Christmas and it'll be really busy. So I don't. We'll we'll just see. Well, I can definitely say that you write decent stuff. I mean, I, I've read that uh, you had the you had your list, didn't you, of every new series episode from worst to best. Yeah, the ultimate time. Doctor Who story ranking. You yeah, were read, you I were a big um, supporter and follower of that, so I thank you uh, for reading them when they came out. That. And you've recently been doing a course. You've been getting a poll to have a story for each Doctor every month. Up to the 60th. Yeah, well, assume I assume that um David the David Tennant special will be airing on Saturday the 11th. So sort of worked backwards and thought I'll do a story from each Doctor every yeah. week. Um, and I've and got it just... every week rather than every month. Was it? It was every week. week. So for the past 13 yeah, weeks, thinking that like as I got closer, I'd be getting more excited. Um. So, but it it's literally finished, and they've still got three weeks to go because <laughs> I I uh, assumed the wrong uh, date. But um, yeah, I mean that that was fun, and it was it's fun to do. But I, since about beginning of October, I've been watching so much Doctor Who extra to that as well that it's all just it's been great. <laughs> and of course, you've been right. You're a writer of short stories, which I'll thoroughly recommend anyone listening to this to go and check them out because they're great. I've I've read one or two of them. Yes, uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I think I, I much prefer the shorter ones, not just because it saves time, but I think I think I'm probably more suited to them. As much as I enjoy writing Christmas Love of Monsters, it was quite a beast at, at 35 pages. Um, I do remember downloading it and I thought, it's going to be a short story and then I saw it was 35 pages and the type was, I thought, Oh my god, this is bigger than I was expecting. That yeah, it's a, it's a proper yeah. novella. Yeah, it was, but it was really good. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's uh, it's the sequel to Love of Monsters that I would have wanted, uh, and I, I hope that I hope I do it justice. Yeah, the most recent short story I wrote on brand was the um, the game of luck with the twelfth Doctor versus the Toy Maker. Because I thought they've got to meet, haven't they? The Capita Capaldi against the Toy Maker. That, I'll that check that out. I've read that one. I think I'll check that out. Yeah, I wrote that one. It was on brand, and um, I really enjoyed writing that one. It just sort of flew off the page. So I'll be sharing it a lot. I think in the next couple of weeks to try and mine it whilst whilst the Toy Makers in people's <laughs> minds. Um, but yeah, quite a lot, lot of the stuff I do now is on my blog, which is uh, through my Twitter which is lost underscore Gallifrey. So, 
if you go, if, yeah, if you look at me or look me up on Twitter, then the blog's linked to there. I'm only not saying the blog's name because it's got a load of numbers in because it's free on WordPress. <laughs> so <laughs> you'll just never, you'll never hear it. But lost underscore Gallifrey. I'm usually active on Twitter. I'm quite active on my blog and I usually pop up on people's podcasts quite frequently um so i can talk about dr Hing. yes i've been hearing quite a bit of you the last, the last couple of months <laughs> yeah it's great it's wonderful well i'll just say well we've already uh, agreed what one we're doing next time but i'll not say it now but uh, one that's very special to me yes yes but, uh, but, but, but <laughs> we'll keep that a secret for now um because i'm putting them out less frequently i don't know when i'll get around to probably that one going out to be honest but uh We'll arrange that one. And uh, yeah, I'll just say till the next time and thanks again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's been it's been great. And um yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait to do what we're doing next, uh, whenever we get round to. That'll be fun. Um so yeah, thank you. Hello, faithful listener. Unfortunately, I only realised after I'd heard that great chat with Luke that I hadn't asked the Twitterverse what everyone else thought of the powder free. So I thought it would be a bit remiss not to include it at the end of the episode, so I went out and asked for opinions and I got a few replies. John J.D. David said, 95% very good, 5% dreadful ending. Totally agreed, John, Um, as me and Luke discussed. It's 35 minutes of a really good story looking at Amy and Rory, and then it just comes to a halt when it goes on that Shakri spaceship and Stephen Berkoff is spouting some random nonsense. Gavin said, difficult to believe Chibbers wrote it. I really enjoy it. We needed more Brian. I really like the Chris Chibnall era, actually. But um, I still think that this story, though, was one of the best, if not the best, script he's ever wrote for Doctor Who. I just really, really like it. Um, Yes, we needed more Brian. I mean, it's such a shame he never got more of a build-up in, say, Series 6, and then it carried on, because he's a breath of fresh air in the two episodes he's in. And... uh, yeah, it's just a shame, as I said in the episode, that we never got that closure for him. But we kind of did in the week, of course, because we got that PS episode on the Doctor Who page. And Daniel Knight said, Really fun and clever story, with the ending scuppered by a stroppy guest star, apparently. <laughs> yes, Stephen Berkoff, Daniel. Um, I'd love to know like, if he was an arsehole on set on other things he's done. If anyone knows, can they let me know? I mean, was he having... Arguments with Roger Moore on the set of Octopussy. Well, thanks, guys, for replying to me. It's much appreciated. Love you all. And uh, so, yeah, till the next episode. See you later, folks.